Kurt, you ready? Yes. Yep. yep. We're good. Room is ready when you are. Very good. Thank you very much. Uh, good evening and welcome to the Monday, June 21st meeting of the Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Commission. My name is David Carter. I'm the commission chair. And before we continue, I'm going to turn this over to Becky Pepper to describe how the meeting shall be run this evening. Becky. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Becky Pepper, planning manager. Joining me here in the city commission room is Jeff Crick, planning and development services director, and Kyle Kobe, who will be helping to facilitate the Zoom video portion of the meeting. We will work alongside the chair who is on video remote to facilitate the meeting proceedings. Currently, we have everyone muted so that we can talk through the general ground rules for tonight's meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast live on the city's YouTube channel. During the meeting, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon, which is found on the lower left-hand corner of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you're muted, a red line will appear over the icon. This will make it easier for everyone to hear the meeting. Just remember to unmute if and when you want to speak. In the menu, you can also turn your camera on or off by clicking the video icon, which is located next to the microphone icon. For the purposes of this public meeting, please keep your video on for the duration. If you are participating by phone, you can enter star six to mute and unmute your phone. Somewhere on your Zoom screen, you will also see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker, and gallery view will show all the meeting participants. Commissioners, you must state your name and title each time you speak. Members of city staff must also state their name and title each time they speak. And I would also ask that the applicants and members of the public identify them themselves each time before they speak to ensure that everyone is able to follow along. When public comment is sought on an item, individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise your hand feature. For Windows and Mac users, you can access this feature through the participants button on, at the bottom of your screen. Android and iPhone users can access this feature through the more button, which is located at the bottom right corner of your screen. And for those calling in by phone, you may dial star nine. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. And when you're called on, please unmute your listening device and state your name before speaking. The chair will then call for in-person public comment for those who are physically present. Staff will direct you to the podium to speak while following social distancing and safety protocols. The regular three minute time limit will apply. All motions will need to be stated clearly after a motion is made and seconded, staff will call on each commissioner individually to provide their vote. Staff will then need to announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. Again, I want to remind everyone to please mute yourself when you're not speaking. And now I'll turn the meeting over to the chair. Thank you, Becky. David Carter, chair. Um, our first order of business is to recognize a new term on the commission. We have uh, two uh, commissioners from previous meetings who are no longer with us, and we have a new um, uh, city appointee, uh, Commissioner Gary Rexroad. Uh, we want to welcome him, and uh, Gary will uh, have Commissioner Rexroad will have an opportunity to introduce himself, and we'll perhaps have a chance to introduce ourselves to him uh, at the end of this evening's meeting. Uh, but our other um, uh, uh, important order of business is to elect our new officers. So uh, this is the end of my uh, term, my one-year term as chair. It is time to, for us to elect a new chair and a new vice chair. So as we head into this item uh, for the election of a new chair to uh, the, the Planning Commission, I would like as chair, as current chair, to present a nomination of our current vice chair, Luke Sinclair. 
I'd like to have the uh, I'd like to ask the record uh, represent that, and I would also then like to open up the floor to any other nominations that other commissioners would care to present. Uh, Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner, I would second the nomination of Vice Chair Sinclair. Thank you, Commissioner Willie, David Carter Chair. Um, any any uh, nominations of any others before we proceed to a vote? Hearing none, I would ask uh, Jeff to please read uh, the role for the election of our new chair. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexrod? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. David Carter, former chair, I'll turn this meeting over now to our new chair, uh, Luke Sinclair. Thank you, uh, immediate past chair Carter. Um, I think if Luke Sinclair, uh, chair, um, but I think if I'm correct, you should have received or have in your possession uh, a, a gavel, is that right? David Carter, uh, commissioner, I just want to express my gratitude to uh, the other commissioners and to the staff um, for the patience and uh, generosity that they have shown me this past year. It's been a real honor to serve as chair and I'm, uh, uh, I'm humbled by, by the work we've done and, um, but also uh, happy to pass this on to uh, Chair Sinclair. So thank you so much for the recognition, I'm grateful. Luke Sinclair Chair, uh, obviously the gavel is just a, a very small token for the amount of work that you've put into this, um, Commissioner Car uh, Carter. Uh, your tenure, I think, is going to be remarkable for having been completely by Zoom. Um, and past Chair uh, uh, Jim Carpenter was on Zoom for a little bit, but yours was exclusively by Zoom, um, which obviously presented challenges and made things a little difficult at times. Uh, but I, I do feel like you've risen to the challenge and um, embraced it and engaged it. And I think maybe uh, because of your um, your professional life have really been able to uh, guide the commission over the last 12 months. Um, and I think the result has been thoughtful and directed conversations and deliberations, even, even by Zoom. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm pleased with the level of discourse over the last year. Um, and so... I really appreciate that and thank you for guiding us um, through that. Uh, and then I guess to the rest of the commission, I ask for your patience and grace because <laughs> I've been, I've been a sort of uh, stunned each time we've had a transition that the level and the quality of leadership has not really dropped off, I've thought, in the transition, but I, I'm not sure I can promise that this time. Um, but with that, I then my first order of business, I think, is to... Uh, turn to the election of the vice chair. And for that, I would like to nominate um, Commissioner Sharon Ashworth. Um, and I, I, I guess with that, I would ask if anyone would either have either, or would either have other nominations or would like to second that one. Uh, Commissioner Carter. Uh, David Carter, Commissioner, I would second that nomination. Thank you, Commissioner Carter. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, any other comments or nominations? Seeing none, uh, Jeff, would you be able to read the role on that? 
Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services Director. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexrow? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, thank you and congratulations, Commissioner Ashworth. Vice Chair Ashworth, sorry. Um, but with the, that business uh, taken care of, I guess we can turn to our, uh, the next section in the agenda, which is the uh, Planning Commission Action Summary. Um, and for that, we will uh, receive and consider any amendments to the uh, minutes for the Planning Commission meetings in uh, a meeting that took place on May 24th and 26th of 2021. Uh, do any commissioners have any comments or revisions they wish to make to those minutes? or otherwise have uh, wish to make a motion to approve them? Commissioner Carter. If uh, uh, David Carter, commissioner, if there are no other uh, amendments, I would move to accept the minutes for both meetings. Luke Sinclair, chair. Thank you, Commissioner Carter. Do we have a second or any other comments? Commissioner Ashworth. I second the motion. Thank you, Commissioner Ashworth. Luke Sinclair, planning, uh, or <laughs> chair. Uh, Jeff, would you be able to read the uh, role on that one? Sir. Jeff Craig, planning and development services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? I have to abstain since I was only present for one of the two meetings. Motion passes 7-0 with one abstention. Very well. Uh, then the next uh, item on the agenda is uh, Section C for committee reports. Do we have any commissioners that attended any committees and want to report on those over the last month? I don't see any hands. Um, so we'll turn to communications, uh, section D on the agenda. Uh, do we have any written communications from the public um, that we need to receive, Jeff? Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services. All communications were included as part of your online packet. Luke Sinclair, Chair, do we have any um, written communications from staff, planning commissioners, or other commissioners that need to be received? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. No additional communications this evening. Very well. Luke Sinclair, uh, Chair. What about any actions of any waiver requests or determinations made by the city engineer? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services, none this evening. Thank you much. Uh, Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, do any commissioners have any ex parte um, communications that they need to disclose? Commissioner Willie? Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. I did have an email communication from Ben Harris, but I forwarded it and it is now included in our packet. Luke Sinclair, Chair, thank you much, Commissioner Willie. Any other um, disclosures of ex parte communications? Not seeing any. Um, uh, so the next part would be uh, any um, abstentions that need to be declared by commissioners for specific agenda items tonight. 
I don't see anybody that needs to abstain. Um, and so that would bring us to um, the portion of our evening before we jump into our specific agenda items for general public comment. Um, and this is a time where we allow members of the public to um, offer three minutes worth of general public comment. If you're here, if there are members of the public either on the Zoom call um, or in person uh, in the city commission hearing room and you're here for a specific agenda item, please uh, withhold your comments. You'll have opportunities when we get to that to talk. Uh, so if there are any public uh, members of the public that wish to offer general comment, now would be the time and, and either signify by raising your hand digitally or on the camera if you're on video or in person. Um, and maybe uh, Kyle, you'd be able to tell us if you see anybody. Excuse me, Kyle Kobe with planning. Um, there's nobody in the room to speak for general public comment. And I'm not seeing any hands going up either on video screens or digitally. Very well, thank you. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, they'll, we'll turn then to um, section E of our agenda, which is the regu regular agenda. We have uh, four items up tonight. There were five, one of which was withdrawn, and that's agenda item five. Um, so we'll just jump in with the first one, and that's to consider approving a special use permit, um, SUP 21-00128, for 10 new dwelling units at 3655 East 25th Street <clears throat> for Lawrence Community Shelter. Um, and I believe we have uh, uh, Sandy Day as the planning professional staff that's going to present on this. Correct. Sandy Day planning. This item is for an, a change to the existing community shelter program that provides shelter for the homeless. You considered a special use permit about a year ago that added dwelling units for family units on the back side of the building as individual housing uh, units within the overall scope of the temporary shelter use. This proposed project would add 10 more units. They are designed and intended to be used for singles. Um, the overall number, maximum number of um, shelter residents combined, whether they are living in the congregate facility or in one of these dwelling units would still not change. That maximum is 125 with cold weather, um, upping that number up to uh, 140. The project includes removing a little bit of pavement, so it restores some green space to the overall project. Um, there is one condition that is associated with the project, and that is related to bicycle parking. Um, that is a piece of code legislation that has changed um, during the, the two projects. So some long-term bicycle parking is required for the project. We are working with the applicant to make sure that that is properly designed. Uh, the shelter staff reports to us that bicycle parking can sometimes be a challenge with a lot of abandoned bicycles. So we're trying to make sure that we're getting um, that properly um, located and also to be sheltered and secured for those individuals that are using bicycles as a mode of transportation that's reflected as a condition of approval. The property is zoned PID, which is a planned industrial development that goes back to the old code. It is really a remnant piece of zoning 
um, as much of the area has been rezoned to conventional zoning. And that is something that staff identified in this particular report that um, shelter staff may want to move forward in the future with an application to rezone the property and get rid of that remnant zoning so that it does not uh, confuse the project in the future. And it could move to a uh, a conventional either industrial zoning district, a GPI district, or another district that allows temporary shelter. So that was something that was identified. It is not a condition of approval. Beyond the addition of the 10 units, the overall structure of the use and the intensity of the use does not change. The applicant is um, available here to answer questions about the specific project. We have been working with them to make sure that uh, proper building separation is provided. The application was originally submitted with 12 units, but because of those building separation requirements, the project was reduced by two units, um, reflecting the 10 that is shown in the current plan in your packet. Happy to answer any questions for you, and the applicant is also on the call. Thank you. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Thank you, Sandy. Um, I think we have with the applicant, Dan Rockhill and Kenneth Yates. Um, you guys can handle this the way you like. I don't know if you're both going to speak, but uh, keep in mind you have 10 minutes to uh, offer any other thoughts you'd like. Thank you, uh, Commissioner Stan Rockhill, and I'd be happy to answer any questions you may have. This is very similar to the submittal we shared with you last year. Um, we're still doing um, the same as we did last year with basically shipping containers. Uh, the only thing that has changed significantly is we've gone from an occupancy of four uh, per unit uh, now instead to a single so that's made it a lot easier from our standpoint in terms of planning. But I think we've, we have everything in order. Sandy's been an excellent uh, help to shepherd us through the process. Uh, Kenny Yates is with us this evening as an interim director, and Megan Bond is with us as well as a, a funding coordinator. So i turn it over to both of them, and you may have questions having to do with the shelter in general that you may want to direct toward them instead of me. Thank you, Mr. Rockhill, Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, Mr. Yates or Ms. Bond, do either of you have anything you want to add to that, uh, what Mr. Rockhill said? Um, nothing to add offhand, Kenny Yates, Lawrence Community Shelter. Um, nothing to add offhand. Um, it's a project we're really excited about. Um, and we, you know, we think is pretty necessary to just continue improving our services and um, we appreciate the consideration. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Thank you, Mr. Yates. Um, th at this time then, uh, we would turn over to uh, any members of the public that wish to uh, comment on this particular application. Uh, I don't see any members on my list who have registered in advance um, Kyle, is there anybody in the in the chambers room? Kyle, COVID planning. There's nobody in the room to speak on this item, and at this time, I'm not seeing hands going up uh, in Zoom either. Okay, Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, then I guess uh, I'll bring it back to the commission for um, discussion. 
do any commissioners have anything they want to ask or any thoughts on this particular project? I already see uh, Commissioner Rexroad, welcome, uh, raising his hand. Feel free to proceed. Thank you, uh, Ms. Bond, Mr. Rockhill, Mr. Yates. Thanks for the good work you do. Um, thinking about the uh, impact to the neighborhood, I know that um, inside the shelter, you have very strict rules to help manage that population. Um, as this population goes outside now, out behind the shelter, what measures do you have in place to help assure that as those people shift outside, that those same rules can be enforced? And what I'm thinking about is the long-term impact uh, to the neighbors that might be around you. How do you manage that? Sure, and, and Megan, feel free to jump in if, you, if you'd like. Um, Kenny Yates, Lawrence Community Shelter. Um, you know, so when it comes to planning for our operations and emergency procedures, you know, that that's intensive and we're going to be putting a lot of thought into that, um, especially in regards to our neighbors. Um, you know, but the units are still on the property that we've been managing. Um, so it's not a new space. That space has always, always been managed. You know, um, we have our guest park back there and our um, smoking areas back there. So we're accustomed to monitoring that large area behind the building. Um, but we will be installing additional security cameras. Um, we'll create you know, new emergency procedures and implement operational changes that involve um, routine rounds on that side of the property, um, routine checking in in the units themselves. Um, and we'll develop a robust set of procedures um, and, and guidelines for our clients to be utilizing those spaces. Um, and in the same way that we run our primary shelter building, um, you know, those expectations will come with um, potential consequences if guests aren't able to uphold their end of the agreement. Um, so uh, we'll treat it just as seriously as we do our main shelter, um, you know, and, you know, it will we'll likely open it in a phased approach. So we'll start off with filling a few of the units and, you know, kind of test out different procedures and see how things are going and adjust accordingly. Um, I can add that we, um, I have recently been co-leader um, in our good neighbor meetings for Lawrence Community Shelter, Megan Bond, Lawrence Community Shelter. Um, sorry, forgot. Um, and those meetings have gotten increasingly um, good reviews from our neighbors as we've been um, improving our policies over the last couple of years. Each meeting has has been met with more enthusiasm and more enthusiasm. And at this time, the Prairie Park um, Neighborhood Association has expressed um, excitement about these pro projects. So um, knowing that they're more trauma informed and actually reduce stress for our clients means that it also reduces um, you know, adverse behavior. That is the outcome of trauma. Awesome. Thank you so much. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, Commissioner Willie, see your hand raised. Go ahead. Uh, kind of in a similar vein. Uh, this is a project that I think a lot of us were excited about and uh, wanted to see how it would go. It was a little bit of a, an experiment for us as a community. Can in any of you, uh, any of your team, just kind of talk about how it's gone so far, um, the building process and um, how families have adjusted to that and how the shelter has, uh, has worked that out. Can you just kind of get us up to speed? 
Yeah, um, and Megan, I'll, I'll jump in and feel free to jump in. Kenny Yates, Lawrence Community Shelter. Um, so we, we currently don't yet have any families in Monarch. Um, we had a few facilities projects that we, um, and safety uh, projects and procedures that we really wanted to complete um, to ensure a safe opening and a safe day-to-day um, -day for our families. Um, those are all wrapping up um, in near completion, um, and so we're anxious to get families in. Um, and similar for Monarch, um, in fa for phase one, well, we started off with two to three families so that we can get really robust feedback about, you know, how, you know, how the day-to-day -day looks like in the village um, so we can respond with additional accommodations and um, additional facilities and additional um, services as needed. Um, so we've gotten a lot of really good feedback from our community partners. Um, you know, they're very excited about the units. Um, and our staff is very excited to to get families back in um, back on property um, and um, start doing the good work that we do. Um, I'll throw it to Megan if she's got anything else to add. Just that we're we're just wrapping up, and we really couldn't be on the property when it was uh, under construction because it was an active construction site, and so it wasn't until after the ribbon cutting that we really got to get in there and just make sure that there was baby proofing and other things that were for families that, you know, the, the uh, students at Studio 804 were really um, so uh, detail oriented and everybody has commented on it that has taken a tour. And I hope if any of you haven't quite gotten a tour, just please let us know and we'd be happy to show you around. But the, the attention to detail is so good that we really have only very light projects to do. Um, but we will also wanna make sure that they're completely um, in, in line with everybody's best interest on the property, so. We enjoyed it so much. We're coming back for more. And I doubled my enrollment. I had 18 students. And I like to think it's the humanitarian interest amongst the, the current group that has transpired to 34 students that I have enrolled. And I'm actually looking for additional projects just because there's so much enthusiasm. I think the great testimonial to the success of the project for everybody was the open house and the, the seemingly a thousand people. It may seem like I'm exaggerating, but there were an awful lot of people. And it was very, very nice, wonderfully received. So students did a great job. We're very, very happy. And so we're back to do more. So it was good, good project. Thank you. Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you for those comments. Um, other questions or comments to the applicant or staff? Uh, Commissioner Carter. Thank you, David Carter, Commissioner. Um, so um, when we explored this last last year, we were in the you know the height of the the COVID crisis. A big concern was how to safely house you know families um, in um, in a in a way that you wouldn't expose them to possible, you know, cross-contamination, things like that. Um, and as I understood, uh, or uh, looking at the, the uh, expansion of this project to include 
uh, single residents. I wonder if you could um, describe how these individual units fit into the shelter strategy for accommodating singles um, and if there's a differentiation between whether singles get housed, you know, in the, these units or in the main facility. Um, I can address that if you want to chime in, Kenny, please do. This is Megan Bond, um, Lawrence Community Shelter. Um, we are planning to focus these 10 units on single women specifically, and we are also um, have been in conversations for many months now with um, Jay Armbruster from the jail, um, our new sheriff, um, and he is interested in doing some programming for transitioning, for women transitioning out of his facility to have a place to safely go. So some of that would be prioritized and but it would all, all be women. So for sure, um, women who tend to be le less, um, there tends to be less women at the shelter. So this would be um, 10 of those units, of these units would go there. I think that one of these units is also to be ADA. Is that right, Dan? Yes. Right, so that would obviously that unit would go to someone who's in a wheelchair and um, um, and then the other units would definitely be all women. Um, and then with a special negotiation, we're working out. I don't think that he has enough women transitioning to fill all of the units, but, but we would like to be able to offer, offer that. Thank you. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, I think I've. I think uh, I think I saw Commissioner Shanklin's hand up, and now Commissioner Butler, your hand is up. Uh, so, Commissioner Shanklin, first, did you have something to say before? Did uh, Commissioner Carter take your? Th okay, go ahead. Hi, Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. Uh, this is a question for either Mr. Rockhill or Ms. Day. Um, I, I noticed that we lost two uh, two units. Um, because of building separation requirements. Uh, is that fire code or um, what resulted in, in the need to reduce by two whole units? Um, that's unfortunate and I'm just curious as to why. Yes, it is indeed unfortunate. Dan Rockhill, uh, applicant. And uh, we had a plan that had 12 units, but we are limited in the amount of space, real estate we had available to us and so we had to put the units two foot closer to one another, which violated the commercial code, which would which insists upon a 10 foot separation. And if you're closer as we were with an eight foot separation, we needed to have basically a concrete walls on each of the containers, separating them to prevent fire spread. And uh, we were reluctant to do that, but we short of, having the containers tested themselves by a testing agency, which would be prohibitively expensive, we had to acquiesce and just make them 10 foot. So it was unfortunate. I'd prefer to have done more, but that's the, that's the building code. Good question. Thank you. 
Thank you, Commissioner Shanklin, Luke Sinclair, uh, Chair. Commissioner Butler, do you still have a question? I do. This is Commissioner Butler. Um, and I think, Mr. Yates, I'm hoping that you can answer this question for me. It looks like, if I'm correct, the maximum capacity for the entire shelter is 125, correct? Yes, the maximum capacity is 125. And then with the addition of the temporary units, it doesn't look like that changes at all, correct? That's correct. And why is, why is that? So why is our overall capacity not increasing? Yes, sir. Um, yeah, so these units help us address um, of several things um, as far as our services go. Um, so these 10 units will, you know, so there's some progressive story of how our capacity is kind of modified over the last couple of years. Um, the pandemic being a, a big um, catalyst for change in our capacity that we're, you know, slowly increasing from. Um, but, you know, previously we've had 125 people in that main building. Um, and a couple of years ago, a consultant um, recommended a particular staff to guest ratio. And so we've moved forward honoring that. Um, and we've also found that just having so many people in the building um, is one, it's fairly uh, difficult and traumatic for guests staying in the shelter. Um, so a lot of people, um, it's a big building, but if that many people in the space uh, makes it really challenging um, for guests. And so uh, as we've um, developed new sites and we develop um, the ability to spread people out throughout the building, um, we find that guests are more comfortable um, I would say that there are less escalated situations um, and overall the ability to provide a private dwelling for some single adults um, is very trauma informed um, and in some ways uh, mimics day to day living that folks will have after they move out of the shelter. Um, and so that additional privacy um, and the additional space to spread out that number of people um, proves to be really helpful for both our guests and our staff. I hope that answers your question. And, and Megan, if you have anything to add, feel free. I guess my my thought was if there are more people that can be housed in the temporary um, units, that that would allow more people off um, their camping, maybe down by the river or someplace else in our community to have an opportunity to be inside. So that, that really was my question. If, if, if you're able to put um, families and, and some single people in those other spaces, would that free up more space for others that uh, may not have housing or that are, you know, transitioning or have some other kind of living arrangements and opportunity to benefit from services that are offered at the shelter? Sure, and that's a, that's a great question. Um, so, so what we're finding and what we are moving towards is making sure that our services can rapidly provide support for guests moving in. Um, so in our housing first approach, um, our goal is to stabilize folks and get them into housing as quick as possible. So by maintaining a certain capacity um, that allows our in-reach managers and our housing navigators and the, our direct service advocates and that whole team to provide services um, 
more effectively um, for guests so that we can transition them quicker. Um, so while our day-to-day -day capacity remains the same, um, we're moving people out successfully quicker so that we can get more people rapidly in the shelter. Um, and that's, and that is a, the way that we're moving forward with our services. Thank you, Mr. Yates. I have one more question yeah. for you. Is the people, the people that are going to be uh, living in the temporary units, is there a, do Douglas County residents at first priority or how, how do you guys determine who, if it comes into our community from a surrounding area, how, would Douglas County residents get a priority, I guess? Yeah, uh, very much so. Um, and in fact, you know, we screen clients based on where they're coming from. Um, and our priority and focus is Lawrence and Douglas County, um, and specifically based on recent capacity limitations during the pandemic, we've strictly only served Lawrence and Douglas County residents. You know, granted, um, it sometimes can be hard to pinpoint um, uh, you know, exactly where folks define their residence, just because experiencing homelessness can be um, a very transitional state of existence. Um, you know, but we we have our intake and our um, diversion questionnaires designed to kind of screen for that so that we can prioritize Douglas County residents. Thank you. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, do we have, oh, I see Commissioner Willie's hand up. Go ahead. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Uh, a quick follow-up uh, from Mr. Yates about um, capacity. So the, the special use permit allows uh, a capacity of 125, but that's not the, the, the functional capacity that you're working at at the moment. Is that right? What, what is your functional capacity? That's correct. So when the pandemic hit, um, we dropped our capacity to 40 approximately based on the kind of planning of our facilities staff and based on the space that we had um, and the recommendations that we were seeing from the health department and CDC. So based on our bed space and where we had everything spread, it was at 40. Um, we've been very conservative in increasing that too quickly. You know, we, we don't know exactly what percentage of our guests have received vaccination. And um, so in that, in that light, we've really tried to play it safe and we're slowly increasing our, our guest capacity um, so we'll slowly be increasing our main shelter capacity back up to 60. Um, and we've been doing so um, as we've gotten the correct um, support staff in place to make sure that we can provide quality services to folks um, that are in the building. If I may follow up, Mr. Chair, uh, Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Um, so I was going with this. So the, the, the staff to client ratio that you maintain, will that allow someone to um, be present kind of 24 hours uh, in this um, uh, new development that has the, the 12 family homes and the 10 single homes? Will there be kind of eyes on that beyond, beyond um, a camera? Yeah. So during the day, you know, our, our primary support staff are there. And then evenings, overnights, um, you know, we'll have... Uh, typically three people around the clock, um, three to four in the evenings and two to three on the overnights. Um, and so as part of that routine um, safety and security monitoring, um, cameras are always up, but there are regular rounds that are completed both within the building and outside the building in the perimeter. Um, you know, so um, 
you know, I think our, I think our rounds are every 30 minutes um, at this point. Um, I imagine that as we expand the dwellings outside, those perimeter walks might increase a little bit um, just because there's a little more to monitor and manage. Um, but we found the interval to be effective at um, just kind of maintaining safety and security. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, any other questions from commissioners? Uh, I think Commissioner Carpenter raised his hand first. I'll let I'll give him a shot here. I should let Commissioner Willie follow up on her questions, and then I'll go. Very well. Go ahead, Commissioner Willie. Uh, just a quick question about crossover. So um, you have some units that are designed for families and built for that and in a small space, um, not a lot of flexibility, I would imagine, within that, that design. So I imagine that the, the units that are designed for individuals will always be for individuals, but will there be crossover between the, the family units or would you expect those that will always be full? So be full. Families have a particularly hard time getting emergency shelter. Um, so we don't expect once we get them up all the way to capacity, they'll remain all the way up to capacity. Luke Sinclair Chair, uh, Commissioner Willie, does that satisfy you? Hi, Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. I guess I'm only curious why not build more family units if that's the need that singles could live in um, and, and that's, um, your design and not mine, but I'm just curious about um, that, that design. Yeah, um, it's a good question. Um, and so I understand the question being why not more family dwellings? Um, and you know, uh, families uh, require, uh, I would say, um, a level of complicated support and services that um, single adults don't always. And so making sure that we have the right case managers and support staff for families um, is really important. Um, and it can be, you know, it can be more challenging to get families into housing sometimes and, and take longer potentially. Um, and so um, our family program historically was about 35 to 40 individuals. Um, and the new Monarch Village puts out at about 48. Um, and that's the number that we're accustomed to providing services for. Um, and we think that it does a decent job of meeting the need, um, but we just need to make sure that when we have folks in our building and in our care, we have to make sure that we are able to provide them a path forward and not simply be a place to stay. Um, and so that's, that's part of the rationale for um, having a set limit at 48 with the families. Um, and Megan, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, any other follow-ups, Commissioner Willie? Okay, uh, Commissioner Carpenter, do you still have a question? Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. Um, my main question was already answered, which was about how many ADA accessible units would be in the single family. Um, so we're gonna have one in the single resident, and I believe you have two that are in the family. One, just one, just just one, Jim. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, I couldn't remember. I 
So the rest is just really a comment. I was able to attend a ribbon cutting and tour the the living quarters. And I have to say it exceeded my expectations from what we heard a year ago. Um, And given that we still don't really have any code about how to use shipping containers as housing, I think you've really set the standards that once we get to that, we'll have something to work with. So I want to thank you all for that and for the the work you're doing out there. I I think that this is going to be a valuable addition. I'm very intrigued by your work, what you mentioned about working with the Douglas County Sheriff's Department in transition. Um, Since we didn't have any expansion to take care of some of those things in the jail, I, I see this as partially picking up that slack and thank you for doing that also so that's that's pretty much it i'm i'm very much in support in doing this i i know that we're doing this as a temporary shelter use so we aren't getting to the point of having permanent code for using having permanent housing such as this so i guess that brings to my one more question what is the projected lifespan of these units Dan Rockhill, uh, applicant. Um, I would be guessing, but my my best guess would be forty to fifty years, and I think it comes down to maintenance. I think as long as they remain uh, protected on the outside, namely rust free and painted, I would think they'd last longer than that. Uh, it's just a matter of like any any dwelling. It depends on how well it's maintained. So I'm not trying to avoid the question, but I do think uh, that the benefit from our standpoint in terms of building it is we get a roof that's already sealed. These units are water tested. So they're one trip units that come in, but then they're pressure tested to confirm that there are no voids in the skin, be it on the outside walls, the floor or the roof. And I wish we could do that with buildings that we build uh, because it's very hard to maintain a high level of tightness. And these are one trip uh, containers that were in remarkably good condition. So thank you. Carpenter Planning Commission. Thank you, uh, Mr. Rockhill. That was, that was great. I, this is certainly a lot of bang for the buck. And I think it's it's a good thing to have in the housing inventory and to look at for other possible uses in meeting some of the short-term and maybe even longer-term housing needs as we progress down the road. I know we're going to have to address some of the other issues that would happen if we start to put these in other parts of the city. But as a pilot project and looking at that, again, well done. Thank you. Thank you. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Do we have any other commissioner comments or questions? Commissioner Ashworth. And Commissioner Ashworth, Um, all the questions I would have had have been asked and answered, so I won't um, belabor that, but I'd be happy to make a motion if we think we're ready for that. Luke Luke Sinclair, Chair. I, I think we are. I'd entertain a motion. We can uh, allow any final comments um, once it's uh, been seconded, I guess. Okay. Planning Commissioner Ashworth. 
I move that the Planning Commission recommend approval of Special Use Permit 2100128, permitting 10 new dwelling units located at 3655 East 25th Street, based on the findings presented in the staff report and forwarding it to the City Commission with a recommendation for approval subject to the conditions listed in the staff report. Looks and Claire Chair. Thank you, um, Commissioner Ashworth. Uh, so we have a uh, a motion to approve and send the recommendation on for approval to the city commission. Is there a second? Uh, Commissioner Carpenter, second uh, by hand motion. Um, are there any other uh, comments or um, questions from the commissioners before we have a vote? Commissioner Willie. Uh, Karen Willie, planning commissioner, uh, very much in favor, but I wondered if we as a commission should um, talk about having a, um, an item listed here in terms of either having just a written safety plan. I don't know that we need to dictate what that is, but if they have a written safety plan on record, then that's something that the neighbors can hold them to to make sure that that is being maintained. At, at the moment, we don't have any anything that uh, would give neighbors something to ask about. Mr. Chair, if I may, Jeff Craig, Planning yes. Development Services Director, as part the site, or excuse me, as part of the special use permit for the shelter's initial and uh, founding, there has to be a management plan that's on file that's required as part of that special use permit. So that that does exist as part of the original 2010 special use permit, and it was also amended in 2014 when the occupancy was allowed to increase in cold weather events. So we do have a, we do have a management plan on file that is reviewable and would have to be changed if something in the occupancy levels or other aspects of it were to change or, or alter. But that document does, ex excuse me, that document does exist, but as a part of a different special use that allows for the shelter's overall existence. Uh, Luke Sinclair, Chair. Commissioner Willie, do you have a follow-up? Yes. Could we make a condition, and I know that this then would happen anyway, but could we make this a condition that the um, safety plan would be amended to reflect um, the, the the addition of these units and how they would handle them? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services Director. That can be a recommended condition that the Planning Commission does forward on to the City Commission for consideration. Uh, Mr. Chair, if I may, um, I, can I ask Mr. Yates, would that be any kind of an imposition to you? I imagine this is something that's happening anyway. Uh, would you be comfortable with that? Yeah, Kenny Yates, Lawrence Community Shelter. Absolutely. That, that would be a, a part of the process that would take place anyway. And um, updating that uh, and updating the management plan, I think, makes sense given the, the scale of the changes. Uh, Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, so I guess with that, um, is that, is that, I mean, Commissioner Ashworth, I guess, would you be comfortable amending your motion to include that? Or uh, I guess that's the first question. The second one is, Jeff, do, do we need something more specific on that to include as part of any amendment to the motion? Jeff Crick, Planning Development Services Director. I don't think we need anything specific related to that one because it would probably be more about looking at the management plan to make sure the language is right. And I don't know if we would have that ability to give language guidance on that item. So I think just knowing that that is a, a recommended condition out there is, is enough to kind of get us moving on that pattern. Okay, Luke Sinclair Chair. Commissioner Ashworth, are you comfortable with that? Yes, yes I am. 
uh, Luke Sinclair chair. So I guess procedurally, point of order, Jeff, do, do we actually, does Commissioner Ashworth actually need to amend her motion and have it seconded again to incorporate this sort of uh, recommended condition? Or can we just vote now with this discussion having happened? Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services Director, I would recommend a amended motion be considered. That way we make sure we have the language correct. Luke, Luke Sinclair, Chair, I see uh, Randy has joined. Please, Randy, go ahead. Uh, Randy Barkin, Deputy City Attorney. It'd be a good idea for the second to go ahead and withdraw the second so the uh, motion can be amended and then come back and have another second. Point taken. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, Commissioner point Carpenter. Of, point of order, uh, <clears throat> Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. Don't we first have to withdraw this motion and, and make the amended motion? <laughs> Because we have a motion on the table ready for a vote, so we have to get rid of it somehow. Correct, but the second has to give the authority. It's already been seconded, so it's up for a vote. So the second has to withdraw the second, then you withdraw the motion or you amend it. That's what I thought. I withdraw my second. <laughs> Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter, Luke Sinclair, Chair. Commissioner Ashworth, uh, are you willing to withdraw your motion? Yes, I withdraw my motion. Would you like me to make another motion? Uh, yes, that'd be great. Luke Sinclair Chair, uh, if you'd be willing to do so, go for it. Let's see. Commissioner Ashworth, I will try this again. Um, I move that the Planning Commission recommend approval of Special Use Permit 2100128, permitting 10 new dwelling units located at 3655 East 25th Street, based on the findings presented in the staff report and forwarding it to the City Commission with a recommendation for approval subject to the following conditions. The condition one in the staff report about the provision of the revised site plan to provide a note and detail showing the short-term and long-term bicycle parking comply with design standards of section 2909 of the Lawrence Development Code. And another condition two that states the safety plan updates that would take into consideration all the new units. Second, Jim Carpenter, Planning Commission. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Thank you, uh, Commissioner Ashworth and Commissioner Carpenter. So we have a, a motion for approval and a uh, recommendation to send this on to the City Commission for approval with those two conditions. Uh, it's been seconded. Um, any other comments before uh, a vote is taken? I'm not seeing any. Uh, so Jeff, could you call the roll? Certainly, Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services Director. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. Luke Sinclair Chair, um, thank you all for participating in that one. Uh, the second item we have tonight is um, to consider approving a text amendment TA 21-0027 to the City of Lawrence Land Development Code Articles 4, 5, and 17 to modify the definition and standards related to garage condos. Um, and for this one, we have uh, Sandy Day again to present. Thank you, Commissioner Sandy Day, planning staff, 
You first considered this item back in March, and this item is being brought back to you with additional information following that discussion by the Planning Commission. At the heart of this request is an intent to revise the definition to specifically allow municipal services for water and sanitary sewer to individual units. And so that is the primary focus of the text amendment. A secondary piece of the request is to add the use in the CS or commercial strip zoning district. The use is already a permitted use in many of the industrial, all of the industrial district, except that it is allowed in the IBP district as a special use permit. Uh, Avery Croner in our office, one of the planners, did an additional analysis of the commercial strip district to show you um, how much area that we have in that that's in your packet. Um, there's quite a bit of commercial area that is undeveloped that could be used for this use. And the additional item that we included in your packet was a kind of a case study of a conversion of commercial property that went from a, a retail strip center, um, a formal uh, uh, shopping mall into um, what is now about half of it is climate controlled. And then they also added several buildings of self-storage. And this is really um, an exercise to try to provide an idea of how this use might be implemented in the CS district Instead of being self-storage units, um, those additional buildings could have been configured to these garage condos as um, are being proposed. One of the other changes that we made in the staff recommendation between the uh, March consideration and this consideration this evening is to move the use to something that is allowing it in the CS district, but as a special use permit. And that was, that change was really taken from um, staff's take of what the planning commission discussion was. Um, so you have a version of the original staff report with the item um, shown in the use table as permitted. And then you also have a revised table that shows it in the use table as a special use permit. Um, that is the only change that we made to the proposed text amendment that was included in your packet. So the definition um, to add uh, the use that includes the water and sanitary sewer connections did not change. Um, the conditions, uh, the use standards that appear in Article 5 really are more of a, a cleanup issue in the code. Um, to make a little bit more uh, clarification and distinction of the uses um, within those different categories. And then if in the future any uh, garage condo use is intended to be converted for some kind of, of other commercial activity that it's no longer a garage condo, it would be subject to all of the same site planning standards that would be allowed in the base district whether it's in the CS district or a different industrial um, district, um, depending on, on where that use falls. Happy to answer any questions. And I know the applicant is on the call as well this evening. Thank you. Thank you, Sandy, Luke Sinclair Chair. Um, I believe, uh, Mr. Warner, are you here for the applicant? And would you like to add anything? I am, um, thank you. Uh, Paul Warner, Paul Warner Architects is the applicant. Um, I'll apologize for missing the meeting in March. Um, I think I hardly ever miss meetings. It was, I just couldn't get there. Um, so I'm going to backpedal on you guys a little bit. Um, 
But Sandy, Sandy has already hit on the most important thing is really the revision to the language. Uh, on one hand, I almost wish that's all, all we had submitted, but um, that's what gets um, some of the projects we've been working on um, moving ahead. But I have watched um, I have watched the meeting in March a couple times, uh, maybe three. But so I'll try to address some of the comments that came from that and see where that gets us. Um, I'll go ahead and address uh, DeSoto's project. So because it was pointed out by a couple of the commissioners that um, they don't have individual services. Um, one, they are out in the, the county. Um which prevents some of that ability. And they were just so far ahead of the game. Um, I think if, if they were starting today, I, I think they would, they would want individual services in the garage condos. But when we got um, planning staff to start looking at this in 2018, I think they were on building eight. They were on building 11. I mean, they are killing it. Um, and I think that's just because They've got the history. They got the plans. Um, the, the rumor is the guys that bought these several years ago, they're selling their smaller ones so they can buy bigger ones because of all the stuff they have. So um, I'm, I'm not sure it's a fair comparison um, between that project and ours, other than the, the success and that this really is it's a viable use that, that people look for. Um other projects, I think, in our application, we had listed a few in Overland Park called the Lux, Casey Caves, Stonegate. They all have individual services. Um, you can, if you Google it, it's amazing how many um, more of these projects are actually on planning commission agendas. Uh, the two last ones I looked at in Kansas City, again, both both have individual services. Um, so to backpedal a little bit more, I want to make sure we all, you know, grasping what exactly what these are. It really is um, a pretty nice private owned storage unit. And the advantage is once, once somebody owns it, they can modify it, they can do whatever they want. They can build mezzanines, um, I hate to use the word man cave, but it's, um, you know, some people have hobbies you know, model trains, whatever it is, we, um, you know, there's a lot of houses built in town just in slabs. They don't have basements. People run out of space. You could probably argue we all keep too much stuff, um, have a couple extra cars or an extra car, um, but it really is the advantage of somebody owning their own unit. Um, there are also some questions about why, you know, why this just can't be an addition on your house. For instance, um, my house, my neighborhood, 1967, um, decent-sized lots, two-car garages, but there's just no room to add a third-car garage. I mean, I hate to say most of the houses we design now, we almost always do a third-car garage. The bigger ones, we almost don't do anything less than four cars, whether that is really used for cars or lawnmowers or bikes or um you know, kids stuff, um, not sure, but um, there just are not many lots in town that really would um, afford the ability to do an addition, for instance. Um, we'll come back to that. So, so there was also several comments about um, 
you know, the allowed uses and CS and, and what the driving factor to kind of make this an SUP versus just allowing it by right. Um, I, I have to admit, when I, when I go down the list of things that are allowed in CS, I, I do struggle a little bit with why, um, why providing the extra protection for a garage condo um, compared compare to a convenience store, for instance. Um, I just, uh, you know, contractor shop, I think is a great comparison. So um, somebody mentioned a woodworking shop. So you could run a full-fledged cabinet shop in CS, do a site plan. But if I, as an individual, want to have a little hobby center, uh, whatever we want to call it, a garage condo, then it needs an SUP. I mean, kind of in my mind, I'm staring at this thinking that the the allowed use in CS is is worse than than what a garage condo would be. Um, so I'd like us to think about that. Um, as you know, an SUP is not a site plan. It must go through this body, as you just have heard one. Um, and it's, I don't worry necessarily about the money or even the time, but I, I do worry about the process. And if we're really sure that this is really necessary for, for what we're talking about. So I, I'd like to consider that a little bit more. Um, I do see these as kind of a back of the house, um, which I thought it was good that staff brought up the project at 23rd and Osdale. Um, certainly the front commercial facing 23rd, mini storage on the back. Um, I have to believe that a, a row of garage condos is um, certainly better for the city, maybe more viable than just... Um, you know, filling that entire back parking lot with mini storage. Um, I, I like to think that the garage condo is, you know, invested individuals and um, certainly a better use than just all of the mini storage. Um, also, some of the commissioners based their desire for the SCP based on it being required in the industrial districts. I'm, I'm glad Sandy pointed it out as well. I mean, the Garage condos are allowed in IGIL and IM. It's only the SUP required under IBP. So um, it, it seemed like there was a little confusion on, on when an SUP was required and when it was allowed by right. Um, you, so you saw the site plan in the packet that we um, worked with Roger Johnson's group on that was put on hold. Um, and asked about the demand and the other projects. So what I can tell you about is we have worked on five specific projects in addition to the one that was put on hold that I just mentioned. One in IL, one in IG, two in IG, one in IBP, and one potential project in CS. Um, I do believe there's demand for this. I'm not trying to tell you out of all those five, even six projects, they're not all gonna be built, but um, I do believe there is demand and that, um, that we can address that. Um, so I don't want, again, the one that was put on hold in around here, it really is about the language. So I wanna make sure the commission is clear that that's one of the um, absolute items that we need addressed. So while we're discussing demand, um, 
I want this question to sound correct because uh, Commissioner Carpenter said it three times. Um, really question where where is the demand? Um, and I guess I'm selfishly trying to understand um, those comments. And I'd like to get a little insight on on how you came up with those and and how you would have a feeling for the demand or lack thereof. Um, so I, I hope to hear some when you get a chance. Um, but again, I think I think that the staff's comments on the 23rd project included it is helpful. Um, I don't see these things that they're not going to pop up all over the place, but they are clearly um, very popular. Um, sometimes it does sound like a little first world problem. Somebody's got too many cars and they can't park them in their neighborhood and they want to know where to go and they want to play with their train set or they want to have a golf simulator now that everybody can afford one. Um, but it is a viable use. Um, we think there's a lot of potential there. I think there's some advantages to it. Um, several of the commissioners, you know, I know CN2 is off the table. Planning's going to work on it. But, you know, make a great point that, you know, wouldn't it be nicer to walk to your extra garage somewhere and get in a car versus uh, I used to have to park my car at Ertl's. And when I got to drive it in the summer, and I'd drive another car over to Ertl's, find a place to park, and then back that car out and drive it around for a little while. So um, it is a viable use. Uh, I think this really shows that when no one's built one and several people have looked at it and Lawrence, that the language needs to be fixed. So the language is first and foremost that hopefully we pass that. Um, looking at all the uses in CS, I would still like you to consider allowing it as a permitted use in CS versus all the other options. Um, obviously, we will take the SUP and be happy, um, but I would like you to consider that a little more. And again, I apologize. I wasn't there, I want to say, four months ago, um, but happy to answer any questions and, uh, and you know, look forward to your comments. Thank you. Luke Sinclair Chair. Thank you, Mr. Warner. Um, so now we'll open it up for public comment. Um, if you, if there are members of the public that wish to speak on this, raise your hand if you're on video or do a little digital hand raise. Um, and while they're working on that, Kyle, still, can you confirm that there's no one or is there anybody in the uh, hearing room? Kyle Kobe was pointing, I can confirm there is no one in the room to speak on this item. And as of this moment in time, there's nobody raising their hands digitally or uh, analog. Very well, um, Luke Sinclair Chair. Then uh, with that, I will um, bring it back to the commission um, for some discussion. Uh, commissioners, does anybody have any comments or any uh, Questions that they want to direct at staff or Mr. Werner. Uh, Commissioner Ashworth. Yes, Commissioner Ashworth, I have a, a comment and a question. A comment um, addressing the uh, special use permit as opposed to by right. Um, one of the concerns I have that leans towards supporting a special use permit for this uh, is because uh, the shops that you talk about, uh, Mr. Werner, they a cabinet shop or a car shop or a woodworking shop um, in commercial areas generally have hours. 
um, whereas a personal, an owned condo um, could be going on, that kind of activity could be going on up to midnight or beyond midnight. Um, so that would be my concern uh, that would lend, uh, lend this to a special use permit as opposed to by right. And my question uh, for staff is actually, now these aren't meant of course to live in, uh, and I imagine there's a lot of safety components uh, that would be missing in something like a garage condo that would prevent somebody from living in a unit like this. But what would be the enforcement mechanism? Because uh, I can imagine in some cases it might be tempting if there are services in these condos. Um, nice couches and game areas and things like that. Um, what might be the city's enforcement to make sure these were not lived in? Thank you. Sandy Day, planning office. Um, the fact that, you know, units today, um, could somebody potentially try to live in them? Yes, that could happen. And the enforcement tool that we have is really one um, through our enforcement staff. We are predominantly um, receive those kinds of things by complaint, um, by activity. Um, so that would that would really be the enforcement mechanism as well as the site plan that we would, you know, very explicitly state that those units are not designed or to be used for residential occupancy. They wouldn't have the necessary building code for that. To say that, um, you know, somebody has a gaming party and you're there overnight with your giant screen TV and, you know, five teenagers playing Fortnite or whatever it is, um, you know, I, I'm certain those things can happen. Now, does that really rise to the level of living? Probably not. Um, but it it is definitely, like many uses that we have, it, it is an enforcement issue that we recognize that we have to be diligent about. So, I, I don't think there is a, a, a surefire mechanism to prevent that kind of behavior, but, but I think if we're diligent, if we make it very clear that that's not the intended purpose, that if it is discovered somebody is there as a resident, then we would be taking the necessary steps that we would for any um, zoning code enforcement issue. Luke Sinclair, uh, Chair. Commissioner Ashworth, does that address your um, questions? Uh, Commissioner Ashworth, yes, that uh, addresses the enforcement issue. I'm, I'm still concerned about the hours uh, of the activities, uh, commercial versus an owned garage condo unit. Luke Sinclair, Chair, um, are there any other uh, questions or comments at this point? Commissioner Willie. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Uh, in, in terms of the idea of, of somebody um, taking up residence in one, I don't think that's any different from any other commercial property, and we don't tend to talk about that. So I, I think we just have to leave that up to our enforcement and, and not give that a whole lot of thought, except that I would say that even if it's just being used as a you know, a hobby shop or a man cave or whatever that might be. I think it would be important uh, and, and that those, that, that this go by the uh, 
fire department in terms of what they would want to see for code, I would think that some kind of a rear egress would be important, um, even if you're not living there. Um, but just for, you know, a, I, I think of the hobbies that, that we have uh, at our place that tend to be um, potential fire hazards. So, uh, is, is Sandy, is that something that's been talked about as far as what would be required for that? Sandy Day Planning Office, we have not gotten to that level of detail, and I think it would be a building by building um, assessment, depending on what the project looks like, how the building code is applied, whether or not that secondary egress would be required or how it might be required. Um, so, no, we did not have an express discussion about that particular element. But, yes, any project would be subject to the city's building and fire code. Luke Sinclair Chair. Other questions or comments? Commissioner Rexrode. Hi, thanks. Um, I, uh, I share uh, uh, Commissioner Willie's observation about uh, you know, the concern of, of someone staying in the property or, um, and I, I think that that idea also extends to um, hours and noise might be there. My, my sense is that there's any number of existing um, applications in CS that would, you know, that would be uh, longer hours or, or maybe present some noise, maybe even um, uh, more consistent in CS than what maybe what you would want to have if it were in a neighborhood. Um, I do have one question. I don't know if it's for uh, Mr. Werner, the applicant, or for Sandra. Um, I wonder if um, you've done any thinking about, or, or if your 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 sense is that. Um, the the people who would want to build these if that would constitute uh, kind of a direction towards infill or if this would they be looking to expand or go outside in in, uh, in undeveloped areas right now would this lead towards more infill sandy day planning um, as we look at it in terms of land use and zoning the use could be either it could either be an infill a commercial project or redevelopment of an existing commercial property, or it could be new construction within a, a greenfield development. So it there's nothing in the code language that directs it to one or the other. The opportunity, sir, I guess is what I'm asking. Yes, it is. Uh, Paul Warner, Paul Warner Architects, um, to address the infill question, I think it is more of an infill item. I think... Um, if, if I were to purchase one of these, I want it as close to my house for convenience um, that it could be, which is going to be infill um, in my case and, and not on the edge of town. Um, uh, while I have you, I think um, to address some of the other comments, um, good point about the times and you know where times would come from. I think that that is kind of a site plan or an SUP issue as well. Um, Commissioner Rexrode brought up, uh, you know, some of the other uses in CS for, you know, grocery stores. Maybe they're closed, but we all know when the trucks show up. So um, at night, um, worked on a lot of projects around Checkers where it Checkers was closed, but the refrigerated trucks were coming in and sitting in the parking lot and running all night. Um, so 
So I still want to win that this seems to be a much lower key use. Um, again, personally, um, I probably want one. Um, I can't imagine going there every day. I, I think I would go, you know, a couple times a week and probably more in the winter, depending on what, what was on there. Um, and then to address the, the living question, um, it has come up. We think that's why our, our last planning director isn't here to answer that question. We think that's why the language got written the way it was, because they thought that that would prevent people from living in them, which we all want. Um, you know, I, I have an office. I mean, I can sleep in my office anytime I want. Um, it's probably not how it's meant to be used. That's not how I intend to use it. Um, but it, it is a code enforcement deal. Um, I would argue I still think having services in that unit still doesn't, um, a unit with no services still doesn't prevent somebody uh, using a clubhouse and sleeping in the unit. Um, so it, it needs to be addressed. It needs to be part of the site plan, um, you know, maybe part of the purchase contract, whatever, when they buy these, that it, it is not intended for residents. And the ones I know of and the, the familiar with, I mean, it really is spillover from these people's houses for what these cost. This is not where people are intending to live. Happy to answer any more questions. I hope that helps. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, I guess first, Commissioner Rexrow, did that um, answer your question? It does. I might have one later, but that does. Okay. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Thank you. Commissioner Willie. And Willie, Planning Commissioner. I, and probably said this in the last meeting, though it's hard to remember from four months ago, um, I don't have a problem with providing services in something like a garage condo. I think that a lot of hobbies, it's nice to be able to wash up, washing from paint, washing from whatever, just to be able to use that. It The, the living part of it doesn't bother me considerably. I know that that will, will happen at some point, but same thing it would be in, in any kind of commercial, um, I mean, or somebody staying in their office, but I think it can, we can rely on our in, enforcement arm for that. I, I don't think it will be a, a large concern. Um, I would be in favor of some kind of a, a you know, front and rear egress just for safety, if that is at all possible. Um, I don't have a particular problem in, I can envision this happening in commercial strip and fitting in well. Um, I do lean towards the um, SUP process for it because I think not all commercial strips would be equally um, acceptable for this in, in my mind. And it, it isn't so much for me that that, that this is a more intense use than commercial because I think um, to Mr. Warner's point, he, he's right. I think it is in many ways less um, um, stringent than, you know, than what would happen in, in a commercial normally. I think what I'm interested in is that the commercial strip area is meant for some kind of a, a public good for a, you know, public access, um, public services of some sort. Uh, and this is really more of a private good and I could see that we wouldn't want to give up just every commercial space that would be available strictly for, for private use. Um, so I, I think this special use permit is probably, in my mind, the way to go. Um, I also could see these garage condos as being potential economic drivers in ways that um, just storage units would not be. I think people who have hobbies to this level probably also spend a fair amount of money on them and having those close to commercial areas where maybe they would be um, going to local shops for some of that, I think could be helpful. So that's what I think so far. 
Thank you, Commissioner Willie, Luke Sinclair Chair. Uh, Commissioner Shanklin. Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. Um, I, I have uh, at least one question and then a couple of comments. Um, first of all, does Lawrence, uh, being a, a Clinton resident, I'm not aware of this, but does Lawrence have a noise ordinance? And would that help to um, assuage any of those who are concerned about noise after hours? Uh, Sandy, is, is that something you can speak to? <laughs> Andy Day, planning office. I see Randy just popped up on the screen, so he was probably better able to address this. The city does have a noise ordinance. I'm not sure how it would be applied in this kind of activity. This is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. What, what typically happens when there's a noise ordinance violation is uh, police officers are called and they will respond and then take appropriate action. A lot of times that's you know, please keep it down. If we have to come back, then we take further action. But that's that's typically what happens in these types of cases. Okay, uh, Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner, again. So my my next question then is for Mr. Warner. Um, are there uh, condo owners association agreements associated with these facilities, and do they include? Um, you know, uh, restrictions on behavior in any way, such as, you know, hours of operation or levels of noise or anything like that? Um, um, certainly. I think there, you're still um, probably a little bit of everything that you just asked, depending on how big of a facility this may be. I mean, this may be on a smaller scale. It's on back end of a CS um, you know, four garages and it's four guys um, individually sold, but certainly, you know, and share trash and share access easements and have agreements about um, hours, um, all sorts of things compared to um, the bigger projects that, you know, we keep mentioning DeSoto up to 11 buildings. Obviously, they run a ton of events and have a, a completely different kind of so I, I see it a little bit of everything. I see some small scale, just really, I need a third car garage. Where can I park my stuff? And up to maybe the back end of a, of a bigger deal, like on 23rd Street, which I'd still go back to and say that would be probably a little better project if one or two of those rows were, you know, individually owned. And as Commissioner Willie mentioned that, um, financially and um, for the city good and providing stuff is, I have to believe that's a better use than, than many storage. But um, I, I think all those are, are fair questions and that's part of the deal to address. Yes. Thank you. Uh, Greg Franklin, Planning Commissioner again. Uh, so, so I have a, I, I think it's a policy comment. Um, Follows on a little bit to what Commissioner Lilly said, but um, I, I am, fully supportive of the idea of a nicely enhanced self-storage facility. I think that's great. I think it should have plumbing and I think it ought to be available as of right in a commercial strip district. But my, my policy comment is I think that Lawrence is missing out on a good measure of urban vitality by not uh, recognizing the economic uh, development aspect that Commissioner Willie brought up but the thought that these might also serve for um, 
a, a place for artisans to not only um, pursue their craft, but to sell it. Um, the, a place for the, the person next door to, um, you know, have a, something on the order of a food truck uh, out of their garage condo um, or, or a coffee shop. Um, I, I just think there, there's a lot that could go on in a strip center um, with, with spaces of this kind that would be more conducive to interaction on an urban level. And I just think we're missing out treating these as glorified um, self-storage facilities. Well, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Shanklin. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Right, do we have further questions or comments? Uh, Commissioner Carter. Um, David Carter, Commissioner, I just wanted to speak up in, in generally in support of, of this. I think um, I, I want to thank staff for their response to um, uh, commission feedback from four months ago. I think it, uh, you know, the way this is shaped up is, is, um, uh, is um, generally acceptable. I, 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 I support um, Commissioner Willie's concerns about public interaction. I think in general, and I think Mr. Werner, uh, address this, that, you know, self-storage and mini warehouse is generally um, not the highest and best use of commercial strip district, uh, commercial strip land. But I, uh, and, and for that reason, I think uh, Commissioner Shanklin's observations are also um, uh, on point that um, this is actually, this actually lends itself to more social interaction rather than less social interaction. If you've got, you know, agglomerations of these kinds of uses, you, they're more conducive to some kind of community uh, interaction. So, uh, and the, the, um, the provision, the allowing the provision of, of, uh, of services, I think is great. Um, so I guess I have just one question for staff and forgive me if this was already addressed to commissioner Shanklin's concern. Um, does the, does the existing use allow for, um, or what does it in any way prohibit, excuse me, um, uh, commercial transactions or could someone, um, own a garage condo and use it as the foundation for a small business? Sandy Day planning. If you look in um, the proposed language for Article 5, I think we've tried to address that, that use of the individual condo units could be used for commercial or industrial uses when those specific things are permitted in that zoning district and subject to the site plan approval. So if you're engaging in a commercial activity, a commercial operation, there are other standards that are going to be applicable to you that you're maybe no longer a garage condo and you really are a business. You know, do you have to then have appropriate ADA accessibility depending on how this project is designed? You may or may not be able to meet that. So you're, you're going to have to come back and look at that as a site plan. So we did try to assess for that. We also specifically prohibit individual mini warehouse or garage condo units um, from being used as residential occupancy. So we state that up front as a prohibition. So try to tailor that to both extremes. 
Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services Director. The one thing I will comment on that is parallel to this, but not quite in the same lines with land development code. Anytime you start changing uses like that, it will come with building code and fire code changes that will come along with them. So if you go to commercial kitchens, they have ventilation and suppression requirements that will come along with it. So it's it wouldn't just be the development code that would have to be looked at in those instances. It would also be the building and life safety codes that would come in to look and review to make sure it works. So. And that can have you know, ramifications on adjoining units, or that can have ramifications, as, as Commissioner Willie noted, about having you know, front and rear exits and those kind of different things there. But that would not be out there. So it's still a code we'd have to look at, but it may depend on the level of intensity that an individual is wanting to use that unit for. So we didn't want to close the door, but we also know that there's going to be a lot more things that will come along with it, as, depending upon as they kind of uh, evolve and grow over time. Great, thank you very much. Luke Sinclair, Chair. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, other questions or comments? Oh, sorry, Commissioner Rexroad. I saw your hand before. Go ahead. Sure, thanks, Commissioner Rexroad. Um, I understand the desire and the benefits of um, approving this through an SUP process, but I have to say that uh, I, I think I'm leaning towards being in favor of this uh, being an allowed use for staff recommendation, um, primarily because the, the, the typical applicant there might find the SUP process to be a barrier, one. Two, um, it is, I think, consistent with what's already out there and other allowed uses in, um, in CS zoning. Um, my sense is that the timing is really right on this. Um, and, I, and kind of a post-COVID world, uh, this, this idea that... Uh, uh, we could create a space where people are getting out now that enables entrepreneurs that um, uh, helps to drive density and infill perhaps um, all seems to me to be um, um, the right thing. So I, I, I certainly am in support and uh, I personally am leaning towards uh, uh, staff recommendation of allowed use uh, as opposed to SUP just to make sure that we don't create an artificial barrier for some of the folks who might want to come in here to uh, do this work. Thank you, Commissioner Rexford, Luke Sinclair Chair. I think I've heard a couple people um, offer uh, their thoughts sort of on the on the crux, I think, of this, with it, which is <clears throat> whether we're comfortable with it as a as a matter of right in CS or with an SUP. I'd be curious if there would be other commissioners who haven't um, haven't spoken up on that particular issue that want to offer their thoughts on it. Commissioner Ashworth. Planning Commissioner Ashworth, I have um, not changed my mind on the SUP part of this. I still think a, an S, a special use permit uh, is something I would like to see going forward with this. The commercial districts that are outlined in the map in the staff report um, are adjacent to neighborhoods. And so I guess I would, I would like to keep the, the special use permit aspect of this application. Uh, Commissioner Carpenter. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. When you look at the executive summary, it looks like we're asked to make multiple decisions here this evening, all in one vote. 
Um, a lot of us were here when we approved these for industrial zoning areas. So, you know, that was that was one thing. But this is asking to expand them into both commercial strip and CN2 neighborhood commercial districts. We haven't talked about CN2 at all. Um, so where do we stand with the request to have these either by right or by SEP in CN2 districts? So I guess first that's a question to Sam. Sandy Day Planning. Um, the original application included the request for the CN2 district. As we talked with the applicant, um, staff made it, it clear that we did not support moving this use into the CN2 district. And so that is not part of your consideration tonight. Um, it is only adding the use in the CS district, not the CN2. And that is because um, in staff's opinion, uh, really a more holistic review of the CN2 district is needed, not um, use by use um, pieces as we're looking at it. And, and Jeff may want to comment about his thoughts about the overall land development code, but the CN2 piece is not part of your request. The actions you're being asked to make to consider are to do a text amendment that would allow the use in the CS district either as a special use permit or as a use by right to modify the definition in Article 17 and to modify the use standards in Article 5. So the only piece that's changed between when you saw it back in March and today is we gave you a table that shows what the table would look like with this use as a special use permit, an SUP, rather than a P in the table. Jim Carpenter Planning Commissioner, thank you, Sandy. You're so welcome. We're down to just expanding it into the CS district, whether it's by right or by SUP. I if if it comes in, I don't have any problem with individual utility hookups. I think that's what we have with most commercial buildings and stores already. So that's one thing. I am a little bit concerned about the private ownership of particular units in a commercial strip um, for dividing up a commercial strip in these small condos that are individually owned. Because uh, what happens when the rest of the commercial strip fails or I know we're talking about the hopeful situation that it will spur economic interest and more activity in those areas, but people are going to go inside their garage like they go inside their garage at home now. And we're talking about your ability to put in kitchenettes and everything else. I don't know how much activity is going to be outside. We can't predict that. So it could go either way. Um, so I guess, Mr. Werner, since you directed some of your comments directly at me, I'll just point out that in the app, the um, representative for the applicant at our last meeting indicated that they were getting repeated requests for doing this, that there was a demand for it. And when the specific question was asked, where, who, how many requests, it was, couldn't name one. So it was, why do we need to expand from industrial in commercial strip? I don't know why we have to go expand by 500 
some acres the area that we can put garage condos. We, we already permit them in certain parts of the city. What is the special need or the need to expand it into the commercial strip which causes a different set of problems when we already have areas where they can go? Now, I've heard the idea that it's going to be walkable, but when you look at the map that was provided in tonight's packet about where, where commercial strips are, most people that reside in the city still can't walk to most of the commercial strips. This is just a small proportion of the city has walkability to commercial strip areas. I wish Commissioner Payton, who was here tonight, <laughs> to go through some of the transportation parts of this. Um, so I'm, I'm still kind of struggling with the idea of why we want to expand this, especially as a right in the commercial strips when we already have areas where it is permitted in the city. So maybe, Mr. Werner, you could tell us why we need to expand the commercial strips. Why is that something that benefits the community? Well, I find it curious. So just um, Commissioner Shanklin's comments, um, great point. You know, artists who doesn't have the room to do it at their house. So now we, we split so many hairs on what an allowed use is. So I'd actually argue that that artist ought to put a sign up and say art for sale. And now all of a sudden it's a personal convenience or an artist studio, whether that's really his or hers intention at all. But if she wants or he wants to do that on his own three days a week, now it's a garage condo, but if they're open on Saturday to sell their art, it's an art studio, it's an allowed use in CS, and it's a done deal. I guess I just struggle. We split so many hairs that, so how is this worse than the, I mean, the mini storage is allowed and climate controlled is allowed in CS. Um, you mentioned failing centers. I mean, the center that the staff did their analysis on is a failed commercial center on what is kind of our busiest street. And the best thing they could come up with is to convert that building to interior climate controlled storage and put mini storage out back. I mean, that's, that's what I struggle with, with when we try to figure out what to do with these projects. Um, I mean, that's not a good sign. Um, Crunch Fitness is, fitness centers usually go in class B, maybe class C commercial centers. And our busiest intersection, the best thing they could come up with was putting Crunch Fitness there. So in the scheme of things, I think we need to probably try to help the people that are trying to do the projects get some more of the projects done and to be fair joy probably doesn't know about every project that we were doing um, she site planned the entire project for alcove development and they shut it all down because they didn't want to risk the building um, because of the terminology so I don't know if that answers your question. We can talk more about the other commercial centers in town, but I think, I think the expansion is probably the wrong word. Um, I 
again, I go back to the two commissioners talking about um, we're splitting hairs between somebody running a business and a hobby and where those lines cross. And it's so narrow that I, I think it's the same thing. I mean, I just don't understand why having um, a garage I go to a couple times a week is worse than um, a house that backs up to a gas station. So um, I don't think expansion is the right word. I think it's about an allowing a use. Again, if the SUP makes people comfortable, but I, I think we're still just splitting hairs about how the use works in CS. Doesn't make me more comfortable. Communication, but um, <clears throat> there's a lot of problems with the current land use development code, and I, that's been recognized. And I know you're going to be a big part of when we get to redoing it, <laughs> just like you were the last time. Um, and I'm sure some of us will be too. But so you're right. Things have built up over the years that are just not compatible to be at in your backyard, such as gas stations, which is why you don't see it in the newer parts of town. So, you know, some of those have been addressed, but we have remnants of the older codes and older building patterns. And when you look at that map of where commercial strip is, it's in the older, older parts of town. So you're not going to see it. there aren't. Our only commercial streets, it goes out 6th Street, the castle, and then we have the industrial business park out there, which requires a special use permit for this type of structure. So to me, it looks like there's kind of a, are we going to add on to, to permitted uses in these areas where we already know that some of the uses that are there are not in probably the best place anymore, but that's where the commercial strip is. And, um, or do we try to look at this in a different way about what we hope to accomplish when we update the land development code? And I'm looking farther into the future right now. I can see benefits of doing this. And, and to the comment about an artist, we've got artists working out of their houses all over town that have you know, increase their garages into studios. We got studios above their garage, or the entire garage has been turned into the studio. You'll see that all through East Orange. And so I'm still not completely sold on why to do this when we have the ability for you know, individual homeowners to do this at their homes. Now, I know there are some places you can't do it because of, you know, restrictive covenants. But and is that what we're talking about, uh, where you can't actually do your hobby at your own house? Or are we talking about something else? But to me, looking down the road as to what we might hope to accomplish, I'm hesitant about expanding the uses in commercial strip. And if we do, I would agree with uh, Commissioner Ash, well, Vice Chair Ashworth now, that uh, maybe it needs to have a special use permit to determine whether it's a suitable location because not all commercial strips are going to be suitable for this. So that's just where I am now. I'm still struggling to understand just what we're trying to do here or trying to accomplish and then what the possible unintended consequences could be. 
Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. Uh, Commissioner Willie, I see your hand up. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. So as we're talking, I think I've actually been moving in the other direction that um, I, I, I know they're already allowed in the industrial districts, but I think they might be a better fit in some of the commercial districts. And so I, I'm becoming more comfortable with that. Um, whether it has the SUP, I could really go either way, in part because as I'm talking about that some commercial strip areas would be more suitable for this than others. I'm thinking, you know, that prime real estate that fronts the main streets that really ought to stay commercial, probably the market factors would determine that anyway, that I don't think maybe developers would be looking to put this kind of use on, on because I think it would cost too much on these front and center kind of um, best commercial strip areas. I imagine that kind of these backwater areas that are needing to be redeveloped would kind of be more prime for it. So I'm, I'm fairly comfortable with it either way. So I just throw that out to see what other, other discussion it uh, comes up with. Luke Sinclair chair. Um, I guess one, I would make a comment. I, I wonder, I appreciate commissioner Willie, your, your comments. Cause I've, I've felt myself, um, tending uh, the other direction from the vote in March. But I would say that the, I mean, Mr. Warner referred to a lot of the discussion as sort of splitting hairs, but I think what the discussion highlights is that there are, uh, there are areas for concern on these things, whether it's location, specifically what CS um, area we're talking about or what specific use is gonna be made, whether it's, um, a wholly uh, private enterprise with uh, an individual or two working on a car, or if it's someone um, that's going to be, uh, you know, doing a food truck or something. I, I th it seems to me that allowing the use, but requiring a special use permit is a way to address those sorts of concerns. It gives us some say to, um, to review these and to allow them in areas that seem suitable and to um, uh, disallow them, I guess, uh, or deny special use permits or recommend denial, I guess, the city commission, um, where maybe there are some of some more of the concerns that we've talked about are implicated. Um, and so I'm sort of, you know, even though I've, I'm feeling more comfortable with this as, as a use um, NCS, I, I still, I'm, I haven't moved too far off of wanting to, to do it by special use, use permit. I understand that it's a, it's a, it's more of a burden on applicants. I fully understand that. And I don't want Mr. Werner to think that, you know, when we throw around SCP, it's, as a, you know, it's just like, whatever, like I, we get that it's, it's an additional imposition. Um, but it seems to me anyways, that it may be a, a way to um, control for some of the factors that we're worried about. And so I just offer that thought right now, but I, I'm, I'm curious to know what um, others who, I don't know, I guess, I wonder if everyone has spoken up or if anyone who hasn't spoken up, what, what your thoughts are on, um, on allowing it and, and doing so by right or by special use permits. Commissioner Carter. I guess one question I would have um, kind of on, on the binary is, are there any commissioners who would support one but not the other, who would vote against, uh, you know, who would support special use permit but vote against uh, doing it by right or vice versa? Like Commissioner Willie, I think I could go either way. And I really appreciate her mention of, of, of fit. It was something that, I was, uh, that was occurring to me 
as um, as Commissioner Carpenter was talking about, um, you know, the, the the amount of of land that already allows um, these garage condos by by right. Um, that is maybe it's just not a, a good fit. And uh, when I think of mini storage um, and and or self storage in mini warehouse. Um, in commercial strip areas, um, I, I have to agree, frankly, with Mr. Warner, that that is a sign of. Um, I mean, it, it actually can make me sad to see a one-time thriving a commercial area um, settle on that as uh, as as the only available use for 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 um, um, you know for a um, what's the word I'm looking for you know for for income. Um, I think the idea of SUP uh, requiring an SUP as a um, uh, as a control on some sort of latent threat on existing um, commercial areas, I, I think would be a way to find some sort of compromise here. I think I would support either, but uh, I, I would agree that. Um, um, the SUP. Well, maybe, I guess I would. I would. I would ask a, a Commissioner Carpenter directly um, if you would support. If, if you would tend to support this, um, you know, requiring an SUP as opposed to allowing it by right. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. We don't usually do this. Um, I suppose we could go around and ask each person what you like and what you don't like um, or what you will support. But in this case, when you look at that map that's in the packet that shows where CS districts are distributed in our community, this has a disproportionate impact on anything Iowa and East. We have no commercial strip past Castle. I mean, I did not realize it. It's not on our zoning map. It's not zoned that way. So, I know we have commercial out there, but it's not commercial strip apparently, or beyond this map that was provided to us. So if we had a more equitable distribution about where these would be, and if I was persuaded that we should expand the area that these could go, and if that's where the commission is going to expand the area where we have um, garage condos in our community, I'm still leaning toward SUP because of the unequal distribution of commercial strips in our community. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, Mr. Warner, if, if you want to address that, you're free to. I'll just chime in and let Sandy or, or Jeff um, chime in as well. But the development code in 2006 moving forward doesn't allow CS to be zoned anywhere that isn't adjacent to an existing CS district. Um, the reason everything west of Castle are all PCDs is because that's what we got sucked into. We got PCDs, PRDs, and PIDs. And even the item earlier, um, Sandy said they're supposed to be trying, we're supposed to be trying to make them go away since 2006. And we clearly haven't done a very good job. So I would probably argue 
Um, I don't know if Sandy or Jeff would agree that under the PCD, if I was going to revise a preliminary and a final development plan, I'm thinking I could probably do this in any one of those. Um, but back to Commissioner Willie's comments, I mean, I do not see uh, garage condos going at 6th and Wakarusa. I, I hope they don't. Um, that's not where they ought to be. It's a prime commercial real estate. That's uh, the price per square foot of the land right out of the gate ought to take care of that. But the reason why CS is where it's at is because that's what the 2006 development code limited. And that's what we have. So we're working within the development code as best we can. Tim Carpenter, planning commissioner. Yeah, I'm, I'm aware of that change in 2006 and why it's not out there. I'm just using the map to point out that the request is to put it in existing CS districts. And if it was the request to put them in these other districts too, it would be more equitable in my mind. Well, now, I, some, I of these commercial strips, some of these commercial strips that we have should probably just go away and become housing in some of the older ones. And whether and so I'm having a problem. Do we anchor them with privately owned garage condos? We may not want to for particular ones. I mean, I have, you know, I've got my own pet peeves about some of these commercial strips that have gone completely downhill, which turn which I agree. We don't want that to happen either. But do we want the commercial strip there at all? And this is serves as an anchor to keep it. So that's where I'm struggling. Luke Sinclair, uh, Chair. Uh, Commissioner Carpenter, do you have any other questions or comments that you had to direct towards Mr. Werner? Take that as a no. Um, so, I, okay, Commissioner Willie, go ahead. Mr. Chair, I would make a motion if you are comfortable with that. Oh, I was just Luke Sinclair plan chair. I was just going to mumble my way or stumble my way through trying to get this to a point where we can maybe uh, try to figure out what we're doing. So I, I am happy to entertain a motion. Yes. Karen Willie, planning commissioner. Um, I move that we approve the proposed or that we uh, forward for the rec with the recommendation for approval the proposed amendment text amendment TA twenty one. Dash 27 to articles 4, 5, and 17 of the Lawrence Land Development Code, modifying the definition standards and permitted districts related to garage condos to the City of Lawrence Commission with a recommendation for approval with the uh, intention that, um, that the use be allowed in the commercial strip district with an SUP and not be allowed at all in the CN district. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Willie. Uh, do we have a, well, we have a motion to um, approve the text amendment um, and send it to the committee, uh, city commission with, um, with those notes that Commissioner Willie indicated. Uh, do we have a second? Commissioner Carter, um, seconded that by hand wave. Uh, are there any other comments um, or, or questions or anything of that nature before we take a vote? Commissioner Rexroad. A quick question, um, new guy question here, uh, Commissioner Rexrode. Um, if uh, if 
this received a no vote, uh, meaning if, if I was in favor of this to be uh, this project or, or the, the text amendment, absolutely in favor of that. Um, but I have a belief that um, it should be by right as opposed to SUP. If I vote no to that, um, does that in any way change things in terms of what the city commission might do next? Does it enable them in a different way? And conversely, if I vote yes to that, or if it's unanimous, unanimous vote yes, does, it, does that lock the city commission in any way? Looks in clear chair. Um, Jeff, would you be able to speak to that? Jeff McClain, Development Services Director. Uh, to Commissioner Rexroad's question there, typically items that go through Planning Commission unanimously will end up on the consent agenda for consideration, but uh, that, that is not a hard and fast rule or anything like that. It's more of a practice there. Um, a vote in the negative would not, one vote in the negative would not change the pattern or arrangement to it, but if there was a if the Planning Commission recommended a denial that would require the City Commission to pass in a different supermajority level to have the item go through. So it's more about not just a single vote, but the outcome of the vote for the Planning Commission as a whole there. So uh, it does have some vote ramifications if the whole commission goes in a certain pattern versus just an individual. All right. Commissioner Rexford, thank you very much. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, any other comments? Uh, with that, then, Jeff, could you uh, call the vote? Jeff, Planning Development Services, certainly. Uh, Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? No. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie. Yes. Motion passes seven to one. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Thank you uh, very much, uh, Mr. Warner, for your time on that. And Thank you, everybody. Sandy. Um, Thank you. So we're halfway through, um, and I guess at this point, maybe I would suggest we take a, a five-minute break, if, if that sounds good, and everyone can be back by 8.36. Uh, Mr. Chair, the room is ready when you are. Thank you, Jeff. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, let people trickle back on. Um, but congratulations, everyone. We've made it to item number three. Um, so the, that's the next one up. Uh, it's to consider approving a text amendment, um, TA-2100107, to the subdivision regulations for Lawrence and the unincorporated areas of Douglas County, Kansas to revise and develop land division processes and standards that are aligned with and will effectively implement the goals and action steps provided in plan 2040 for growth management of the Lawrence urban growth area. Um, and for our staff presentation, I believe we have Mary Miller. Yes, good evening commission, Mary Miller, a city county planner. And as you noted, this amendment is intended to bring the land division processes uh, provided in the subdivision regulations into conformance with the updated comprehensive plan. The previous plan, Horizon 2020, recommended that residential development in the unincorporated areas be directed to the UGA and the cluster certificates of survey were developed to accommodate that. Plan 2040 recommends that um, 
the conversion of agricultural land to non-agricultural uses be minimized and that working agricultural land be preserved. And so this amendment is um, intended to implement that recommendation. Uh, the amendment is also intended to reduce the pressure that additional growth places on rural infrastructure, such as bridges and culverts, and the impact of additional stormwater uh, runoff from the additional impervious surfaces and that impact it has on flooding. The growth management standards recommended in this amendment would help implement the comprehensive plan recommendations to minimize the conversion of ag land to non-ag uses, uh, thus maintaining an inventory of agricultural land in the rural area. It would slow the increase of impervious surface and the resultant impact of stormwater flow in the floodplain, and it would slow the development stress on rural infrastructure. As we work through this amendment, uh, concerns were raised about the build-out plans. These are required with all cluster certificates of survey. Um, the concern was that they may not be providing enough assurance that when the property is annexed, that it can develop to urban densities. Um, one thing to know that at new properties since 2006, when the certificates of survey were implemented in our subdivision regulations and the build-out plan requirement was added, no properties have been annexed that had those into the city of Lawrence. So we have no examples to look at to determine is the build-out plan actually effective. And so there's a very basic rudimentary review of the build-out plans as the back of the staff report uh, where we looked at how could it be divided into lots if it gets divided and you know, annexed into the city and what would the issues be? And um, the review concluded that lots should be shown on the build-out plans if we have continue to have those. Instead of just showing urban blocks, the urban lot layout should be shown. And that way we're ensuring that sometimes blocks in the rural area are oddly shaped due to topography or streams. And we wanna make sure it's still possible when they get annexed to divide them into urban scale lots of reasonable size. And also that it's possible to extend the sanitary sewer main. And the sanitary sewer mains when the properties in the city is typically located along the rear lot lines. And so when we show the lot lines, we can ensure that it'll be straight across and we can just show a 20 foot wide easement uh, that would be excluded from the building envelope. And that would help ensure that it would be able to um, be developed to urban densities. That's just one of the drawbacks that was identified with the review of the build out plans. <clears throat> and uh, so as noted in the staff report, the amendment is consistent with the recommendations in the comprehensive plan and it is consistent with the zoning regulations purpose noted in the zoning regulations and also in the city uh, land development code. And so changes are being proposed to the urban growth area to both tier two and tier three. And um, in the staff report, we discussed two options for each tier and staff provides a recommendation. And tier two is the portion of the urban growth area that is closest to the city of Lawrence. It's expected to annex within the lifespan of the comprehensive plan. And the comprehensive plan notes that land should be annexed before it develops, but it includes a caveat that if it's not possible to extend services, some land can be developed in tier two. So option A is to allow land divisions to continue to occur when property is rezoned to the CP or cluster preservation district. This is the only district in which cluster certificates of survey are allowed to allow those to continue to occur, but with improved build out plans. And as I noted, that would include showing all the lots that would be on the 
in the block and also ensuring that a 20 foot wide, there's area for a 20 foot wide easement along the rear property lot lines so that sanitary sewer lines could be extended. It's important to note that build out plans are conceptual in nature. It's not required that you develop as shown on your build out plan. It's just intended to show that when you put your houses in, you are not gonna preclude the efficient extension of streets and utilities. However, once you annex, there may be a completely different layout designed. And if it's compliant with the subdivision regulations, it can develop that way. It's a little bit of a insurance when we're doing these land divisions that we're not stopping the orderly division later when it's annexed. So I just talked about build out plans just very briefly. Currently we require that we show urban blocks. Urban blocks are typically 200 to 300 feet deep and 600 to 800 feet wide. This can vary, but that's just the general idea of how big they can be. <clears throat> They're bounded by streets. And so on the build-out plans, they show 60-foot future right-of-way area, which is what a city local street requires for right-of-way. We require 25-foot front setbacks along the perimeter of the block, which is the standard front setback for rural properties in the city. And then these are excluded from the building envelope. So when you look at your certificate of survey, you see the building envelope. And when you put your house, you're not going to be locating it in the road right-of-way or within that setback. And so the changes that we're suggesting is, as I noted earlier, if we go with this option, to show the lots. And that way we can ensure that even on the oddly shaped blocks, it is possible to divide it into reasonably shaped urban lots and also to include that 20-foot area for the future easement along the rear property lines. And this improvement should help ensure that this could be developed to urban densities after annexations. Another change, our um, certificates of survey are always submitted to county staff, including the county engineer for review. Uh, but as we're looking at the build out plans and wanting to make sure that they're appropriate for city development, the change would be that we would also provide those to the city engineer. So they could review them to make sure the development design the street design and the proposed plans are feasible. Um, sometimes they're so far out, they can't really say that too much about them, but they can usually notice that the topography would prevent the streets or would prevent the sanitary sewer working in the way that we're showing it. So these are the two changes that we would recommend if we choose the option for allowing certificates of survey in the urban growth area of the cluster with improved build-out plans. Now option B is to limit the development and as you may recall, a few months ago, we had the city of Eudora's UGA before you, and they intended to restrict development in tier two, which they're kind of developing similar to us following the comprehensive plan, but they would limit development unless it's annexed with a few exceptions. One are exemptions to the subregs would still be allowed. And the other is if you are already platted, you could go ahead and revise your plat. And so that's an option that we are suggesting for tier two as well. We would not allow any land divisions in tier two until it's annexed, except for those exemptions to the subregs, um, amendments to certificates of survey, which have already been approved. Eudora didn't have a UGA before, so they don't have any of these certificates of survey in theirs. And also property that's already preliminarily or final platted could go ahead and continue the platting process. So it would limit any new land divisions in tier two. And staff's recommendation is that option B, the limit on development in tier two, um, would be the one that we would recommend. 
So in tier three, we have two options. Option A is the same. Allow the cluster certificates of survey when the property is rezoned to the CP district uh, with the updated and improved build-out plans. And the changes would be the same as we noted earlier. Option B would be to require land in tier three to divide the same way we allow other land in the rural area to divide that's not in the urban growth area. That would just be a standard certificate of survey, not a cluster. So with 20 acres, um, with a cluster, you could have up to four residential development parcels on a 20 acre parcel. A minimum size area would be three acres. You have a 40% future development area that you have to set aside. On these that we do outside the urban growth area, a 20 acre certificate of survey could have two rural development parcels. Minimum areas required to be 10 acres each. There's no future development area set aside required and no build out plan required. So staff recommends option B in tier three to remove the cluster development certificate of survey except for amending those that have already been processed and approved and um, allowing platting where property has already been preliminary platted or final platted, allow that to uh, divide. So that would be the recommendation staff would have for tier three. And so if the, you look at the draft language, the changes we're recommending is in section 20-803, just add a tier two prohibition similar to Eudora's. The Eudora language has not yet been finally approved and codified. So in this draft language is shown in black and the proposed language with this amendment is shown in red. In 804, which is a cluster certificate of survey section, we would revise it to note that it could only be amended. We're not doing any new certificates of survey. In 806, which is the rural certificate of survey, it would be revised to allow it in tier three of the urban growth area, as well as outside the UGA. And then 809, the major subdivision or plat, um, it would be revised to clarify that it's not allowed in Ag 1 or Ag 2 districts. The other zoning districts in the county all allow smaller lots and they can divide by platting now. Most of the other districts are outside of the UGA, but we would go ahead and allow that if you rezone to a village district or Big Springs is another one of the districts, a business district, we don't require 10 acre or three acre lots if you need a smaller lot for your business. And then if this is approved, the next step would be for us to um, make a minor change to the zoning regulations just to prohibit any new rezonings to the CP or cluster preservation district so that it's clear in the zoning regulations that district is existing that we're not rezoning to it. So those are the recommendations we're providing to you today. Uh, we've worked with zoning and code staff on that and I believe they're present today too if you have questions for them and I'd also be happy to answer any questions if you have any for me. Thank you, Mary. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, the uh, this was initiated by the Board of County Commissioners, so there's no applicant. So we'd open it up to public comment. Um, if anyone's on the call still that wants to comment on this particular text amendment, feel free to raise your hand, um, and I'll just confirm with Kyle that still no one has shown up in uh, the hearing room. Kyle Covey with Planning, I can confirm that, and also that I don't see any hands going up. Thank you, Kyle. Luke Sinclair, um, Chair. Uh, so with that, I'll bring it back to the Commission. Um, and 
allow anybody that has any comments or questions off the bat to go ahead and raise them. Commissioner Carter. Thank you, David Carter. Commissioner, uh, a question for Mary. Um, I'm kind of surprised by the lack of public comment this evening. Um, this seems to be a really consequential policy recommendation. And I'm curious if uh, in the conversations you've had or in the, in the work you've had leading up to this, if you've had um, feedback um, uh, one way or another from um, rural landowners. Mary Miller, City County Planner. You will discuss this at a study session at the County Commission meeting that uh, the intent was to limit growth, or to better manage growth in the urban growth area. And we have not had much public comment. You know, uh, we don't notify every landowner of text amendments. You know, we hope that the word gets out with our agendas. Sometimes it gets put out into the newspaper. And um, we have also not received any public comment. Thank you. Uh, David Carter, Commissioner, I saw um, uh, Tanya uh, turn her camera on. Do you mind if I turn, uh, uh, turn the same question to you? Hi, Tanya Voigt, Zoning Director. Um, I, I tend to think that the members of the public are pretty familiar with this because we started out when we went through the zoning regulation changes, we talked about this quite a bit. And then we placed a moratorium also on certificates of survey that would have been outside of the UGA. But I, I feel like with the paper kind of keeping everyone in the loop, we um, are in constant contact with landowners in the county, kind of notifying them of upcoming changes because they're asking about what they can do with their property. And we're saying, hey, by the way, we're a little bit in flux at this moment. So if you go through a rezone process, it may, may or may not be approved. It may or may not be recommended for approval or denial by staff. And so... Um, I, I'm actually very surprised that there's not um, quite a few people from the public here tonight just to provide comment. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, thank you for that question, Commissioner Carter, and your comments. Ms. Voigt, any, any other questions? Uh, Commissioner Rexrow. Just a quick follow-up to that, Tanya. Um, you're surprised that more people weren't going to be there. I know you can't speak for them, um, but I wonder what you were anticipating. Um, do you, you anticipate that this is going to be an unpopular um, move for them? And a second question I have is, is, do we have a sense for any active projects that are underway that might be interrupted by this, the magnitude of, 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 of that change you know, to people right now? Tanya Voigt, Zoning Director, I feel like we've already are in the process of that actually happening because we have had several rezone applications to cluster preservation um, inside the UGA and there has been um, denial on those past, I think, three applications. And so, um, to my knowledge, I think the word is out and the county is waiting to hear um, because they know we're in flux and they want direction. Um, I don't know of any pending applications at this time. Mary, do you know of any? Mary Miller, City County Planner. No, we don't have any applications in right now. There is a rezoning request that was before you for a platted property. Uh, I think it was last month or the month before. That wouldn't apply to this because it's platted. So um, as they submitted the application prior to this text amendment, they could continue with their rezoning. 
to the CP district and go ahead and, and, and divide it. So I don't think there's any other projects in the, in the process. Commissioner Rexrod, thank you for that. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Rexrod. Um, other questions? Observations, comments, motions. <laughs> uh, Commissioner Carter, go ahead. <laughs> uh, forgive me. Uh, David Carter, Commissioner. Um, I, I guess this is a, a question back to Mary, and I apologize, it's kind of open-ended, and uh, but I, I really appreciated the way you laid out the explanations of the different options. Um, but I wonder if you could elaborate a little bit more why you're recommending the specific combination of remedies for Tier 2 and Tier 3, because the, 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 the difference wasn't immediately obvious to me. I understood the recommend. I understood the 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 raw information. I understood the recommendations, but I didn't quite understand how you arrived at the particular combinations for tier two and for tier three. Could you just elaborate a little bit more on that, please? Yeah, Mary Miller, planning with the build up plan option. We are making sure that when you annex, you can develop, but we're not really addressing growth. We're not limiting the amount of growth that's possible. We're improving it and making sure once it's annexed, basically it's focusing only on what happens after annexation. So it would take care of that issue, but it's not really addressing growth. There's two ways we can address growth. As you know, we're working on our LISA system. We have that nearly done where we can evaluate the agricultural productivity of a property. However, that's one of seven golden factors. So when we bring rezonings to you, we don't just look at, is this agriculturally productive land? We look at what's the surrounding zoning? Um, how long has it been vacant? Is the proposed use compatible? There's a lot of different options that we look at. And rezonings have not been moving forward. So my assumption is we aren't interested in doing more rezonings in the urban growth area. And some of the properties we looked at have been high quality agricultural. Some of them have appeared to be more average. We really haven't had any low, but that would be the other option is just to rely on the LISA and go ahead and allow rezoning applications to come forward. And then based on them, decide if we're gonna approve them or not. And that is another way to go forward. But if we don't feel we're, that rezonings are gonna be approved, I think it'd be more straightforward just to limit it with our subdivision regulations. If we think we will start approving rezonings in the urban growth area and we are interested in more residential development, then I think we could, but the revised comp plan doesn't really call for us to do more residential in the urban growth area, which is why we were looking more not making that an option. Okay, thank you. Uh, David Carter, Commissioner, I might have follow-up questions later, but I'm, that's good for now. Thank you. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Commissioner Willie, did I see your hand go up? Yes, Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Um, just to kind of recap where we've been, we have had, as, as Mary mentioned, uh, a couple of these cluster preservations come to us, and I think we've been increasingly uncomfortable with um, the idea of a cluster preservation um, three to five acre lots close to the city limits. And uh, some of those were 
maybe tier three, but close to tier two. They were very close to uh, to town with the idea that that makes um, basically a barrier to annexation into the city when we know that that that's the direction these properties are going to be headed. So I'm definitely very much in favor of um, a development that or, or rezonings that occur in those tier two and tier three, that those be forwarded to the city engineer um, because we've kind of lacked a mechanism to communicate between what happens in the county and what happens in the city. So the planning commission has been kind of the only entity that's been able to kind of flag that for the pr- protection of the city whether they know it or recognize that or not, because the city commission doesn't even have to listen to the county items. So we need some kind of a mechanism that, that, that allows for that communication. So that piece of it, for sure, I think we need. Um, how exactly we determine how we um, protect properties for future annexation and how we get that message to the city that we've done that and that now their role is to look at annexation for some of those properties to kind of relieve some of the housing housing shortage. Thank you, Commissioner Willie. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, any other comments? Commissioner Shanklin? Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. Um, I, I guess my, my first comment is um, I, I hope we'll, we're all receiving really well the point of uh, the need for the, uh, the, the text amendment um, as stated uh, in, in uh, section one of the memo, um, a 31% change in residential uh, use. Uh, it's just remarkable. Uh, I mean, it, it is over a 27-year period, but it's still um, a, a, an incredible delta. And I look at the text amendments and see sort of half the answer to solving that problem. And so I guess the first thing I'd, I'd like to question or point out is um, the, the need to address encouraging density uh, within the city of Lawrence. Um, I mean, that's that's the, the first thing that, that we should be thinking about addressing um, on one hand, and then the second is to limit growth on the other that will preserve the ag land um, by force of law. And, and so I, I just wanted to make that point to begin with. But I, I guess, secondly, I, I, my point is one, about something I don't know. This is this is an unsatisfying solution to me because I don't know what happens with ag land that is currently less than 20 acres. And so I, it's, it's unsatisfying to see, um, you know, code-based solutions that don't address something I don't know. So I'm hoping, Mary, you can tell me what the answer is to that. But my fear is that the text amendment really doesn't do that much to help um, our knowledge of how that's being converted. Do you mean the parcels that remain at 20 acres? I'm sorry, Mary Miller, planner. Are you? No, the, the, the parcels for which we are not required to review uh, the 
the inventory of agricultural land. Okay, for the exemptions, I believe you're, you're yeah. referring to, yeah. So in the uh, subdivision regulations, if you're zoned Ag 1, you can have a 20-acre exemption. And when we went through the zoning regulations, we were torn between should it be 40 acres or should it be 20 acres. And Douglas County seems like it's fertile enough, has enough rainfall that people are able to have working farms of 20 acres. You know, they may be niche farmers that work for the farmer's market, but um, that's how we arrived at the 20 acres. And Tanya is uh, keeping track of how many 20 acre exemptions are occurring, how many building permits are going to be on those 20 acres, so that in a year, a few years, we can say, here's the trend we notice and determine, was this appropriate or should we have gone to 40 acres? And if we notice that with there's quite a bit of division and we don't see the ag use, then at that time, maybe we would increase the exemption up to 40 acres. I, I, I think I'm, I'm looking at maybe something else here. I'm sorry. Um, let, let, let's say there's a, a, a prime agricultural parcel that's 19 acres. Um, as the planning commission, we never get to see that, right? If you have a prime farmland of 19 acres, technically, unless they rezone to one of those other districts like general business, they cannot divide it. So, right, some people that don't want to farm it will just leave it, it'll grow up in trees. We can't force them to farm it, but we can make it available. Right. And if they want to, they can farm it. But you have do to have, have a sense 20 acres. Do we have a sense of how much land there is that falls into that category? Tanya might have that information. So for properties that are currently um, buildable, someone can build a house on it, they can pull a building permit. If they're 18 acres or 25 acres and they have a buildable lot today and they're not doing any further subdividing of their land, then what they do is they prepare a site plan for us along with their building permit. We look at sensitive lands when someone is um, submitting a building permit, even for residential development, we have the ability to protect 40% of a lot. Um, and so we've been looking at prime soils, uh, floodplain, wetlands, um, various um, environmentally sensitive lands when someone submits a building permit. And then we work with that property owner. So if they've slapped a house down right in the middle of that and they're going to put accessory buildings and those kind of things, we know once that's been done, that won't be farmed ever in the future. I mean, there may be farming around it, but with the driveway and all the buildings and the fescue takeover. And so um, we really just try to work with each property owner individually when they are reaching out to us about what they want to do with their property. Um, also, old growth forest is a part of that. So there's lots of questions about um, clearing trees and how many trees they can clear to, to do, you know, a building site and those type of things. So we have the ability, even with just a building permit, that um, to preserve a portion of it, but we don't have the ability to just completely regulate the whole parcel. If the entire parcel is in prime farmland, we would still we would not deny a building permit. Thank you. As for, sorry, Tanya Voigt, Zoning Director, I forgot the inventory part. So um, I watched the last Planning Commission meeting where Karen was um, speaking quite a bit about wanting some inventory data. So we've been working with uh, the GIS department. 
um, we have just very recently got some numbers on what we have left, how much of the county is built out in which zoning districts, and how much of that land is still vacant. Um, I don't think we, we really haven't had time to absorb it, really look at the data, study the data, have staff look at it together. And so um, we hope to have that all that information for you when we come to you for the LISA tool, um, but we're close. Um, we're very close to having some viable data information on what we have, how many vacant parcels we have in the AG2 district, I think is very important. And um, we, we do have some rough draft numbers for that, but we just haven't had a chance to really share that and um, kind of soak that in and, and, and know what that data means and, and then be able to present that data to you as well um, in a way that makes sense. Um, so we're, we're just a little bit behind, but um, we, we are working on getting, getting to that point that we have those numbers. And then once we have those numbers, next year we can compare it and the next year we can compare it. And I think it'll be a really good a foundation. Thank you. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you, Commissioner Shanklin, Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, are there any other questions or comments? Uh, Commissioner Carpenter. Uh, Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. I just want to thank Mary and Tanya for all the work that went into this. I mean, this is a culmination of things that we've done discussing on the planning commission since we started looking at plan 2040 and you've heard it and it's it's all in here about what we want to be looking at and how we develop these plans as we go forward so thank you for all that work and i have to agree with tanya i think the word is out first with the county moratorium and then what we've been consistent with about not altering uh, piecemeal in area plans until we update. Uh, we've had comments along the lines of stopping, uh, putting a hold on rural housing development since, well, during plan 2040 and also when the first uh, revision of the county zoning codes came to us. That was, I think, one of the we had a couple members of the public speak specifically about that concern. And with the county commission starting initiating this text amendment, I think it is pretty well known out there. And we've been very consistent in our decisions, which only helps in formulating uh, policies. Um, so I think the staff recommendation of on both these items are appropriate at this time, especially when we have the new tool coming on board, which I don't know how long that'll be until it gets to us, but it's certainly going to be relevant in how we look at all these things, which land should be used for what and which needs to be saved for the productive farmland. And all that ties into the next discussion we have this evening too, about what land will be there for solar farms and other things. So I, I think we've, we're, we're actually getting there with um, at least at the county level so far, we're, we're making great strides to comply with plan 2040. So I wanna thank you for that. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter, Luke Sinclair Chair. Uh, 
one comment I would piggyback, I guess, on Commissioner Carpenter uh, before getting to Commissioner Willie is that I, I think we have the benefit here, although it would be nice to have had um, comments come from public uh, that we're the recommending body. And so to the extent um, to the extent there is more public comment that's needed, there is an additional layer. And I think that hopefully will happen at the County Commission. Uh, Commissioner Willie. And Willie Planning Commissioner, uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. That's actually part of the comment that I wanted to make is just to um, reiterate how, how uncomfortable it makes me to not have public comment on this. And I know um, there's been, there is community knowledge about, about the kind of the decisions we've been making. I don't know that there's community knowledge about why and about that it's, um, you know, for the benefit of later annexation into the city of Lawrence for future density, for future housing, that bigger picture. I think that the word that gets out is um, we're just against, that we're just against, that we're against development or against property rights or things like that. So it makes me very uncomfortable to not have public comment. And I just think it's worth noting that there is, there are none of us, none of the 10 of us planning commissioners, only eight of us are here at the moment, none of the 10 of us um, are affected by this personally. None of us live in tier two, none of us live in tier three. We have two of us that live in the rural areas, but we are outside of those districts. There's nobody on the planning, on the county commission either that is directly impacted by this decision. So that, those two things combined just make me feel like we need to have, we need to be hearing from the community um, in, in, in all of the positive and negative. Um, I just think that that's an important part of the process, and I'm, I don't know how we get that. I guess we can only hope that, um, like it sometimes does, that our work here makes the paper, for better or for worse, to turn out those voices to the county commission and make sure that that is heard. Um, I think the work we're doing here is important. I think the discussion we're having here is important. I want to move forward with it, but, but I just needed to note that that, that that representation is not here. A very good point, Commissioner Willie. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, are there other comments, or does anybody feel comfortable making a motion at this point? Commissioner Rexroad? Yeah, so I, I agree with Commissioner Willie um, and the uh, uh, the impacts, I don't think, are understood to the people that live in that area. I wonder if it would be appropriate for us to um, defer a decision on approval of that and ask instead uh, to, to, to wait a month, maybe, try to solicit some feedback from members of that uh, particular community. Luke Sinclair, planning, uh, yeah, planning chair, sorry. Um, do... I guess functionally uh, for the staff, is that something that, that can actually happen? Because um, the people that would be affected of this is a long list, I'm sure, or affected by this, excuse me. Um, is that logistically possible with the deferral? Mary Meller, planner. One thing we've done is we've put items like this on our website, you know, and uh, zoning and codes, we put the zoning regulations on their website and, you know, ask for comments. So the people who visit our website comment on them. We don't really reach anyone that doesn't use our websites. 
And I don't have any way to reach all the people unless it does hit the paper. And, um, you know, if the newspaper would say, if you have comments, go to the Lawrence or Planning or the Zoning and Codes websites and leave comments or attend the meeting. So perhaps at the next meeting, we would have more members of the public here. You know, yeah. That's the only way I could think of to do it. Yeah, Commissioner Rexford, I suppose that uh, through this whole process, there's been a lot of opportunity for people to understand the issue and to come forward if there was concern. I just, it just is, I share with uh, Commissioner Willie that that uh, that there aren't more here. It just, it is puzzling to me. Thank you, though. Thank you, Commissioner Rexford. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Commissioner Carter. Yeah, David Carter, Commissioner, I, I have a question for staff. Assuming we were to um, approve this and forward it, to back, uh, forward it on to the Board of County Commissioners tonight, what would be the latency between this meeting and the County Commission meeting? Well, with text amendments, we have to provide notice to townships and cities. So there's a 20-day notice period. So I'm assuming it would be, and I have to prepare the resolution, which is the reason Eudora's didn't get on the county commission yet, which I'm perfecting the style of the resolution. So this one should go faster. So I'm thinking it would be about a month. And this one we would want to put after the Eudora text amendment. So, you know, within a month, it would be on the county commission meeting. Thank or you. More, but not sooner than a month. Thank you. Uh, David Carter, commissioner. I, I, I uh, obviously my first question was ex expressing surprise that there wasn't more uh, public um, public comment. At the same time, I'm really not in favor of delaying this. I mean, this is, as Commissioner Carpenter said, a culmination of years of debate and and uh, and work on the part of staff. Uh, and um, I'm not confident that another month's uh, delay is going to resolve that. Um, I am. Uh, I'm 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 inclined. To, to approve and forward it to the County Commission for further debate, uh, for further discussion. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with uh, Commissioner Rexroad and Commissioner Willie that it would be really good to get more public comment. Commissioner, no. Sorry, I kind <laughs> of... <laughs> Luke Sinclair, Mr. Chair. Chair. <laughs> uh, Commissioner Willie. <laughs> Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Um, I would say, though, in, in, in favor of moving forward, that every time we've had an issue come up in terms of development in Tier 1 and Tier 3, we have sort of begged for these tools. We've been asking for this. I especially have been asking for this, that we knew we didn't have the tools we needed. Um, staff is now providing us with a way to move forward with that. So um, I... I, I I'm inclined to move forward, um, e even with my uh, reservations about not hearing fully from the public, um, with knowing that there is a, another public hearing that comes up uh, between now and then. So um, in terms of just accepting or not accepting the staff recommendations, I think I spend more time thinking about rural subdivisions than probably much of the commission. And it's still a lot to get our heads around um, how the rules work what's allowed, what's not allowed, what's being offered to be changed. I wouldn't normally ask this, but I wonder if it wouldn't be worth having us ask Mary one more time to run through these two options for tier two and tier three and the recommendation. Again, I, I, I feel like I would benefit from that. I hope that others would also. 
Mary Miller planner. Yes, I can. Um, so the options are in tier two, the first option is to go ahead and allow the certificates of survey to continue the way they do now. You rezone to the CP district, and if you get your rezoning, then the certificate of survey is administrative, and you just have to meet the requirements. You have to have 40% set aside, um, a temporary set aside agreement if you have environmentally sensitive lands, and you do a build out plan. And so option A would say, we just have to improve the build out plan. That's one way to make sure that when it gets annexed, it could develop at urban densities. We're removing some of the obstacles. As I said, we haven't had any come forward, so it's hard to say, yes, this is gonna take care of the issues or no, or if there are any issues, it's it's kind of a guessing game, but that's the best we could see is to improve the build out plan. And so you have two steps. One, if you get rezoned, and if you do, then we just have to improve the build out plan. We can go ahead and do the land divisions. And then when it gets annexed, you know, Hopefully it'll go ahead and develop to urban densities without any issues. Option two would remove the option of certificates of survey or plats in tier two, with the exception that if you're an exemption from the subregs and there's a list of exemptions, um, then you can go ahead and do that in tier two because that's outside the subregs. Or if you're already been divided with a certificate of survey, we had one that was 40 acres and it's just one RDP. So technically that one could go ahead and divide further. Or if you're platted, we have some platted subdivisions if they wanted to do lot reconfiguration or revise the plats. So if you've already been divided, either through a certificate of survey or a plat in tier two, you could continue and change those, but no new land divisions through the subdivision regulations until you are annexed. And that's pretty much in keeping, I think, with the recommendation in the comprehensive plan. Um, now, if you rezone to a district such as general business or light industrial, then you could plat and develop. So those don't fall into this prohibition. Actually, I, I'm sorry, I misspoke. In tier two, the prohibition does not allow any new platting. So um, if you want to develop with business or industrial uses in tier two, you would need to annex before you can do that. So it's an outright prohibition on any new development, any new land divisions. So in tier three, which is a larger portion of the urban growth area and which is not expected to annex within the lifetime of our comprehensive plan, rather than having them do cluster certificates of survey in preparation for annexation, the two options are to, um, the more restrictive option is to allow the properties to divide the same way property outside the urban growth area does. So in a way, it is the urban growth area, but we're treating it as if it was not. It still divides in the rural fashion. The smallest parcels you can create for residential development are 10 acres. And that way, whenever the city limits expand and parts of tier three are ready to be annexed, we're annexing 10 acres or larger at a time. And there should be no problem with developing those to urban densities. That's the option we're recommending. And the other one is the same option as for tier two, is just to improve the build-out plans. You know, require the lots to be shown because sometimes with the topography and the streams, we have some very odd shaped blocks that are being created. And if we had to show the lots, it would help to evaluate, is this even reasonable? And if so, to make sure that it'd be possible to extend the sewer lines, which is always one of the biggest issues when you annex property and the houses are scattered is it's hard to uh, extend sewer line straight through. So I hope I clarified it and didn't just jumble it up. But those are the two options, you know, either 
keep the re rezoning and divisions but improve the build-out plans or limit or prohibit new development in Tier 2 and revise it in Tier 3 so it's the same as if you were outside the urban growth area. So technically, no new cluster certificates of survey in the UGA at all. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, thank you, Mary, for that. Uh, Commissioner Shanklin, I see your hand. Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. Uh, Chair Sinclair, would it be appropriate at this time for me to make a motion? Um, Luke Sinclair, Chair, what, maybe hold on to that one second because I thought I saw a couple other hands go up. Uh, maybe Commissioner Carpenter and Commissioner Willie, but they went down. So I'm not sure. Just maybe see if there are other comments uh, before that. Oh, and, and now Commissioner Carter. Maybe right. Mary I, just made everyone. I'll, I'll defer to Commissioner Carpenter, who had his hand up before mine. <laughs> okay. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. I just wanted to follow up with Mary. If you could explain to us why 10 acres is so important when we talk about annexation into the city. Well. I don't think 10 acres is a magic number, but in the Ag 2 district, that is currently the smallest parcel you can create. And if you have 10 acres and one house on it, there should be no issue with extending sanitary sewer straight through the parcel and dividing it. And once it comes into the city, it has to be platted. And it should be possible to take 10 acres, you would plat it into several blocks, and there should be no issue with being able to extend the sanitary sewer, no matter where the house is located. And so that's why well, 10 acres is seen as important. There's also a difference. Anything 10 acres or less is can be annexed by administrative approval. Anything 10 acres or more goes through the public process. Is that correct? That is true. Jeff Crick, Planning Development Services Director. Uh, the point that Commissioner Carpenter is raising there, it is it's not right, a change in the annexation process. It's a change in the City of Lawrence policy on how the annexations are routed for comment. Items of greater than 10 acres go to the City Commission for initiation, then will come back to Planning Commission for review and consideration before returning to City Commission for their consideration and do approval, do, excuse me, for consideration of the approval. Acreages less than 10 acres do not have to go to the Planning Commission. They can be initiated by the City Commission and then heard and considered by the City Commission without the Planning Commission taking a review item to it. So it's not an item of, of annexation law or code. It's just a, it's a policy practice the City has in place. Thank you, Jeff, for clarifying. I, I, I guess my point was the opportunity for public input um, changes whether it's 10 acres or less, which you just pointed out, because there's a step removed if it's less than 10 acres, that's all. Looks like Claire Chair. Uh, Commissioner Willie, did your hand go up? No, okay, sorry. Uh, Commissioner Carter. Thank you, David Carter, Commissioner. Um, this goes back to my, one of my early questions or comments to Mary about understanding the components, but still having some difficulty about how they all fit together. Um, the idea of a building, a build-out plan uh, it, uh, strikes me as particularly attractive given, out, given uh, the comments of the city engineer uh, a few meetings ago. And um, I wonder if you could just clarify, is a building build-out plan required in order to annex land? Because uh, it, I'm wondering, 
why not both? Why not st still require an enhanced build uh, build out plan while also prohibiting subdivision? Or does it does the second make the first point moot? Mary Miller planner, build out plans are not required when you annex, but typically you have to provide your plans how you intend to develop. You know, rezoning occurs when you annex and you plat the property, and the city commission is always asked, "What do you intend to develop?" So we. When we've taken an annexation request to them, they want to know how develop, how do you intend to fund the financial portion of the infrastructure improvements because the developer is responsible for extending the roads and building the roads and extending the sewer lines. So all of that occurs when you annex. And the important thing is it doesn't have to match a build-out plan that was approved previously. So if you're in Tier 3 and you do a something with a 10-acre and a 15-acre parcel, it'd be simple for someone to show a build-out plan just because we have so much room you could draw anything. Once it's annexes, though, you're not held to that. And at the annexation stage, for the city commission to decide whether or not to approve it, they typically look at the plat, you know, and uh, and if not, if they go ahead and if, say it's 10 acres and they just approve it without plans, the next step would be to plat it. And that goes to the city engineer and you know, we work through it, review it, and make sure that what they're planning is possible. So I think it might be more work than warranted by the fact that there's going to be one house on a 10-acre parcel and maybe some ag buildings. I just uh, I don't think we'd be preventing anything you know, by stating you have to put that house in this certain location. Okay, thank you. I, I'm sorry, but we could, you know, if we did... Um, the cluster, the, the good thing about those is we do have the environmentally sensitive lands provisions, temporary set-aside agreements, but as Tanya said, they look at that when they review building permits. So even though we don't have it as part of the certificate of survey, when someone comes in to get a building permit on one of those parcels, their office reviews it and they look at the environmentally sensitive lands and they say, well, let's not put it here. You're right in the middle of a wetland or you know trees. And so they work with them. So it still has some environmental provisions. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Commissioner Carter. <clears throat> Any other comments or questions before I turn the attention back to Commissioner Shanklin? I'm not seeing any Commissioner Shanklin, so the floor is yours. Well, in that case, I would like to know that we approve uh, text amendment TA 21-0107 to the subdivision regulations for Lawrence in the unincorporated areas of Douglas County, Kansas, to revise and develop land decision division processes and standards that are aligned with and effectively implement the goals and action, uh, action steps provided in Plan 2040 for growth management of the Lawrence, Lawrence Urban Growth Area, uh, together with the staff recommendation for Option B, limitations on developments in both Tier 2 and 3, and the uh, text revisions recommended therein. Thank you, Commissioner Shanklin, Luke Sinclair Chair. We have uh, a motion to approve the text amendment. Um, do we have a second? Commissioner Butler, see your hand there. Um, any other comments or, or uh, questions before we have a vote? Commissioner Carter. I would, uh, David Carter, Commissioner, I'd just like to double check. Is, is that, um, that motion, does it include all of 
the necessary information to update the text as Mary's laid out? I think that's a question for, for Jeff. Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services. Director, we have recorded the motion as being the one that uh, recommends approval of the staff recommended text in the amendment there. Mary, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that would be, um, excuse me, one moment. That would be for tier two. It would be to prohibit any land divisions in tier two until the property is annexed into the city of Lawrence. And in tier three, it would be to prohibit any new cluster development certificates of survey in tier three, but allow rural certificates of survey. That's correct. And then the draft language that goes with that. Yeah, that's yes. correct. Okay, thank you. Very good. Good, good clarification, Commissioner Carter. Uh, Luke Sinclair, Chair, is that, is that uh, what you were shooting for, Commissioner Shanklin? That's exactly what I intended. Okay, then uh, with that, Jeff, would you be able to call the roll? Certainly, Jeff Craig. And development Services. Uh, Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yeah. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. Very good. Um, that then brings us to the fourth and <clears throat> excuse me, final item tonight, uh, which is to consider approving a text amendment TA 2100173 to add standards for commercial um, slash utility scale solar energy conversion systems or CSCCS to zoning regulations for unincorpor unincorporated Douglas County, excuse me. And for um, presentation, we have Mary Miller. Good evening, Mary Miller, City County Planner. <clears throat> um, this amendment is being developed in anticipation of applications for solar farms in Douglas County. The use is currently permitted in the county. It's uh, included in the major utility use classification, but there are no specific use standards developed for this specific use yet. And without set standards, standards have to be developed through the review of the conditional use permit. This can slow the review process, and as you may have recalled from our discussions on quarries previously, it can result in inequitable and substandard or very different conditions being applied to the same use over time. And so, um, for this reason, staff felt it was very important to develop a set of standards before we begin reviewing any applications. Um, a lot of times with text amendments, we get them developed. We like to put them on our website and get public comment. Uh, primarily from people who are interested in pursuing the use, as well as um, organizations such as uh, environmental groups. And that way we could incorporate those into our language, but uh, with the time frame we're looking at and uh, wanting to make sure we have something in place before applications are submitted, we decided to move ahead and bring it to the Planning Commission and take the comments now and make needed changes if we need to and uh, follow your direction then. This amendment applies only to commercial or utility scale energy conversion systems. So personal systems or accessory systems such as um, solar panels on rooftops or of homes, or if you have a photovoltaic unit and you're using it to charge your electric fence, those individual uses are not 
do not require a CUP and are not governed by these standards. Uh, they come under the construction code and uh, require a building permit. So they go straight to zoning and codes and that's how they have been processed up till now. There's no changes to those. The proposed standards are intended to, first off, minimize the impact of the system on nearby properties and to minimize the environmental impact, to ensure adequate reclamation of the site when the lifetime of the facility is done, and to provide appropriate decommissioning and disposal measures of the um, solar units themselves. And these standards were created as a joint effort between planning and zoning and code staff. So Zoning Director Tanya is here to answer questions, and I believe some of the other staff who did some of the research and work on this are available today as well to answer questions. So I'll briefly go through some of the standards we are proposing. Uh, we are discouraging the location on prime farmland. However, uh, we, the standards note that it may be allowed if there's a, some provisions such as if there is a direct reduced energy cost to local residents, or a donation to a Douglas County open space or local startup farm program, or continuation of an agricultural use, such as livestock, livestock grazing uh, with pollinator habitat or other such uses. We did receive public one public communication uh, that was included in your packet as an update today, and that was from the Sustainability Action Network. And they recommended that we prohibit the location on prime farmland, uh, but we feel this flexibility is important um, it provides some flexibility, but also includes some mitigation measures so that if it is on prime farmland, you know, we have ways of uh, mitigating the impact. The height of the structures would be limited to no more than 15 feet, but this can be exceeded by the Board of County Commissioners if necessary due to grade change. The location of the facility must accommodate future growth of incorporated cities. Um, we noticed through our research that there was a city that the solar farm located very near two sides of the city. And as the city grew, it became landlocked in that direction. So it's just important when we look at where they're being located, it's not gonna infringe on a city's ability to grow <clears throat> as planned. And also the location must make maximum use of existing terrain and vegetation for screening. If that's not possible, additional screening could be provided. The size would be limited to no more than 1,000 acres. And steps to minimize offsite glare are listed in the standards. Most of the um, solar units are treated, you know, to prevent glare as glare reduces efficiency of the system itself. However, these steps are included as that is one of the principal negative components um, with these facilities. Uh, vegetation, uh, we know that vegetation should be suitable for livestock grazing or similar sustainable use. And um, Sustainability Action Network commented on this and um, asked if chemical means of uh, managing the vegetation would be permitted or would it be limited to mechanical means. And we would need to talk with the Douglas County Public Works Office and the Sustainability Council because um, the Public Works Office often uses chemicals to manage noxious weeds, and we wouldn't want to do something that would uh, interfere with that. So we would talk with them and see what they would recommend. We have setbacks established. Uh, all structures and facilities would be set back a minimum of 100 feet from the road right of way and 50 feet from the interior, side, and rear property lines. Um, it must be located a minimum of 500 feet from any existing residence that's there at the time of installation. Um, fencing and screening, a seven foot tall chain link or permeable fencing would be required. Wildlife quarters would be required at approximately one quarter mile intervals, especially for the larger facilities, just to ensure that wildlife have a way to travel through. 
a 25-foot deep buffer and screening area would be provided along all adjacent residential properties and adjacent roadways. Lighting is limited to no more than 15 feet in height unless it's shown to be necessary to illuminate the area. No lights would be directed off-site and all exterior lighting would be motion activated and on a timer. Electrical interconnections would be underground unless the county commission grants a waiver when underground placement is not feasible. Above ground lines would have to be in right-of-way, easements, or other legally dedicated tract of land. <clears throat> so those are the basic standards we're recommending. Uh, materials that would be required with the application, uh, an additional public notice of one mile would be required, and this is similar to what we require with wind energy conversion systems and cell towers. Um, the applicant mails the notice out and uh, lets them know that this is being submitted, and that way people within one mile are notified, in addition to the notice that we would send out of the planning commission meeting. Plans showing the existing conditions and the proposed conditions would be required, and supplemental information required would include information as to the public outreach that they conducted uh, to notify nearby landowners, the manufacturer's specifications and recommended installation methods, a grading plan, which would show stormwater drainage, interconnection agreement with a local electric utility, an operation and maintenance plan, transportation and route plan for construction traffic, and this would include any infrastructure improvements needed if bridges need to be improved you know, in order to accommodate the construction equipment, a landscaping plan, which would basically show that screening area, uh, what kind of screening materials would be there, and also what kind of vegetation would be planted on the site. Um, people have mentioned that it's not possible to have native plants under the solar unit itself because they're constantly shaded. And so, um, but where the sun reaches, that's where the um, native vegetation or pollinator habitat plants would be located. An emergency services plan that would be reviewed by the fire district for that area. Off-site construction improvements, if it's necessary to you know, do other construction in order to connect to the uh, transmission lines, those would need to be noted. Um, if a substation had to be built in the county, but not on this facility, that would also be shown. So we would have the entire effect of the facility. Uh, a solar glare hazard analysis would be required. A soil sampling plan, uh, it would show the areas that would be sampled. The soil samples would be taken prior to installation. And then at intervals throughout the life, and that way we can identify if any contamination is occurring from the chemicals within the units themselves. And then at reclamation, the soil sampling plan, you know, we just take soil samples just to determine that it's been returned to its original state. And then an abandonment, decommissioning, and reclamation plan, which shows, you know, how are the units being disposed of and how is the land being treated and, and returned to its state. It may be returned to the original agricultural state or if they're leasing it, to the state that the property owner desires, but that would have to be shown in the reclamation plan. And then a bond or escrow amount to ensure property commission and reclamation. And we are recommending $40,000 per acre of disturbed soil or the amount provided in the applicant's cost estimate, whichever is greater. And as I mentioned, we did receive the one public comment from Sustainability Action Network. Um, they were concerned with the definitions. We were defining the small scale solar conversion system and using the term net metering. And they suggested we use another term, grid tied solar voltaic system. And we would look into that. I don't know if that, we'd be happy to improve the definitions, but we would have to research this and make sure that is the term describing what we were looking for. And uh, we could look into that. 
And on the, and I think that's everything we mentioned. Uh, they also did point out that on the landscaping plan, um, they noted that some facilities use gravel as the base for their facilities. And um, we had intended that they use live plants, which is what we've mentioned, but it may be necessary just to include that gravel or other non-living materials are not appropriate for ground cover, that we would want living materials. And that is staff's uh, recommendation. We recommend approval of this tax amendment with these changes. There is no application applicant. You know, we staff provided this to the county commission for initiation as we knew applications may be coming forward. A few businesses have contacted us with questions about solar farms and what our regulations are. Um, so there is no applicant. There are members of the public that are um, here to speak on it today. But I'll be happy to answer any questions you have for staff and Tanya. And as mentioned, some of her staff are here as well. Thank you very much, uh, Mary Luke Sinclair Chair. Um, before we launch into public comment, since there is no applicant, uh, it, I believe uh, Mr. Peterson, Anderson, and Wilkins have requested um, a 15 minute, so an extension of the normal time um, that uh, uh, an individual or uh, uh, representative of a group or a business would be able to speak, which is normally three minutes. Um, and as the chair, this is something that's in my discretion, at least, and unless a majority of the commission wants to override me, which is totally fine, I wouldn't have my feelings hurt. But I, I mean, that's basically an extension of two minutes per person. If there's three gentlemen that want to present, um, my understanding is they represent um, a business that's uh, that does these sorts of systems. And so I, I'm going to go ahead and grant it and say they can have 15 minutes, but I think that means too that we need to make sure that other members of the public that are speaking then can get a f five minutes, which would be uh, the extension per each of these individual gentlemen. So uh, with that, unless someone wants to override that, um, I will turn it over to um, the public comments. And uh, um, I, we have, we had uh, one commenter registered, uh, Michael Allman, and then uh, the gentleman I just referenced. Um, and so I guess what I'll do is I'll just go ahead and turn it over to um, Mr. Peterson, Anderson, Wilkins, and then we'll just kind of go down the list there. Well, thank you for the time today. This is uh, Alan Anderson. I'm an attorney and the vice chair of the energy practice group at the Polsonelli Law Firm. I'm in our Kansas City office. Uh, I also do teach renewable energy law practice and policy at, at the KU Law School and work with different Kansas agencies and groups on energy matters or economic development and uh, company recruitment and serve on various national industry committees as it relates to these types of issues on siting renewable energy projects. Uh, for those just a quick background. In, in Kansas, we do have a significant history on utility scale projects. Uh, they are wind projects, but we have more than 40 of them and more than 35 different counties. I and, and my firm have had a chance to work on, on most of those. So there is a lot of history on, on, on locating projects and working with counties, obviously, uh, mainly in the, in the wind space, but there are some uh, solar projects. What's interesting about this project, at least for me, is I'm particularly excited about it because I'm actually a Lawrence and Douglas County resident myself. So I live here in uh, Lawrence and uh, work out of our Kansas City office and we work in projects around the country, but I, this is where I call home. And after having worked in so many other counties, I'm very excited about the opportunity for Douglas County to have both the benefits and I think because of some of the goals of the county, uh, have some of these other goals met. 
And again, as a resident, I am aware of certain of these other goals and interests that are unique to Douglas County and Lawrence. And some of those, of course, are stated goals to assist in greenhouse gas emission reduction and being a leader in climate change mitigation in Kansas. All of that, while again, as we heard even previously on some of the discussion, uh, supporting the rural character. And what is very exciting about this opportunity is in Douglas County, there's absolutely the opportunity to meet the climate change mitigation goals of the county. And it's both compatible with, and in fact, enhances the rural qualities of the county. So it really is a unique opportunity. And I think I'm, again, personally, selfishly excited about this in, in Douglas County and look forward to uh, continuing to have discussion on that. As part of that, we did have an opportunity to review the initial draft of the text amendment. And as it would relate to solar energy project siting, and as I would expect uh, with the excellent staff that Douglas County has, it's very thorough. It's our hope that this then can serve this initial draft as the start of discussion and ultimately can lead to a final set of siting terms to both align the county's various goals and a successful project. I, I certainly think that can be the goal, and I'm excited about that as it relates to Douglas County. But I will say, and we want to be clear, there is work to do here on the draft that's been presented to you. There are a number of uh, items in there that are not in line with uh, a project of this type that would be able to meet the county's goals. And so there is work to do there. So we're excited about that opportunity. And um, I think this initial draft really is a great start to, to kick that off. I do want to introduce a couple of people who will also then be able to present some time. And uh, first is John Peterson. Uh, John is a experienced land use lawyer in our uh, with Bolsonelli as well. And he's going to provide some thoughts, including those a little bit about the process going forward. Additionally, with us, as you mentioned, Billy Wilkins, uh, he is with Nextera Energy Resources, and he would be the lead developer of a potential project that would uh, be located in part in Douglas County, and he can speak both to the specifics of the project uh, and then obviously to solar development in general. So with that, and, and of course, I think after they've had their opportunity or whenever it obviously is, uh, suits the, the Planning Commission, also very much available for questions uh, with that. And so I'll turn that over to John Peterson. Thank you, Alan. And thank you, Mr. Chairman, members of the commission for allowing us a bit more time. Um, I've been known to talk a lot. This time I'm going to talk a lot real fast uh, to stay within your uh, graciousness in terms of an expanded time allotment. Uh, we have appreciated the opportunity for interaction with the professional staff. In fact, I might suggest that this initiative sort of kicked off because uh, we approached them on behalf of Next Area and identified some areas in Douglas County, the eastern part of du Douglas County, uh, that were being contemplated for a utility-grade facility. Uh, we left that encouraged. Uh, I know that there is a definitely a professional staff in Douglas County, and that the hope was that we could continue a dialogue even after maybe some initial uh, thoughts of the professional staff were put on paper. And that really is the premise of tonight's request to ask that uh, this work, this body of work that the staff has put before you, that we may take a pause, allow us to consume it. We just saw the first draft late last week, uh, maybe provide some further thought comments and perspectives to the professional staff and see if we can work out some of the stumbling blocks as Alan referenced uh, in terms of actually being able to develop a utility grade facility of this nature in Douglas County or anywhere, quite honestly, uh, and then bring it back to you for further consideration. 
I, although we've expressed that we've got some concerns with it, I want to identify there are elements in the staff's draft uh, that should be there and we can embrace them. In fact, on behalf of Next Arrow, we, we are we're proud to embrace them because as a, as a industry leading company, probably one of the largest in the United States, if not the world in terms of renewable energies, uh, they have a number of these issues knocked out. And we think we can not only meet the requirements of Douglas County, we can help really professionalize and have depth and teeth and effectiveness to certain uh, elements of the proposed regulations. Such intent of the standards as it's set forth in the draft before you from staff, minimize impact on natural habitat and features. There is an army of experts that'll be part of our development team that look at the conditions upon which we would place these solar panels. What would be the impact on wildlife? What's the impact on erosion? And in turn from erosion to water quality control. All of those elements go into the engineering design of a next era solar project. Decommissioning and reclamation plans, we know it, we get it. We know that it has to be thorough. We know it has to be financially guaranteed because these are long-term projects. We uh, know how to approach that, and I think we can satisfy that. Construction plans, and really the construction plans are about the only time there's going to be any kind of urban, suburban kind of impact on the rural uh, areas that uh, this facility would be in. You're going to have construction activity, but we are open, ready, and in fact, used to uh, working through a construction plan, road agreement plans, what roads are going to be used, if there's any damage to roads that replaced, all of those things. We can work out those details with staff. And of course, some that were raising eye public safety issues, lighting, things like that. Where we get to the challenge really comes from the perspective of what this is. Is it an urban use in a rural area? Or is, as we like to look at it, and I think accurately, quite honestly, it is a new age rural use in a rural area. It is harvesting another natural resource for human consumption. It not only serves a purpose globally, as Alan uh, referred to, in terms of the stated goals in the 2040 plan of being a leader in renewable energies and reducing our carbon footprint, it brings a new economic model to the rural areas of America, and in this case, Douglas County. I happened to do a little research myself. I was interested in the staff is looking at the same things. I think it's relevant. I don't have as current information as they have, but one I noted, 230,000 acres of Douglas County are in farm production today. The net income from that farm production on an average basis is $18,000 a year. Most of them are smaller type farms. To maintain a rural character, whether it be new types of crop production, new types of livestock being raised, or oil production, natural gas extraction, an opportunity for a very static, once it's built, quiet, new harvesting, again, of a natural resource, in this case, the sun, I think can provide benefits on a number of fronts. The one sticker in the process or in the draft regulations come to the setbacks, the buffering, which I would respectfully suggest is an urban treatment of a rural use. A hundred, I won't go through the details because we don't have the time right now. We'd like to work more with staff on these issues. But if you can 
visualize a 40-acre tract. Many of them have a natural stream going through with natural vegetation. We stay out of those. That constrains the use of the site. Then if you start pushing back from property lines, maybe the neighbor next door isn't objecting, or it's a, a, a tract owned by somebody that is participating in the project, you squeeze down and you squeeze down, and that is when you start getting to the point that you can't put together a viable project to produce the megawatts to make a difference in terms of really having a renewable energy project. Uh, and then on top of that, suggestions in the comments about urban landscaping, berms and trees five feet tall at five foot centers. You're starting to say, is this a coal-fired plant we're trying to put in a rural area? Or is it 15 foot tall, quiet structures with a reasonable setbacks that'll be part of the continued rural nature? And quite honestly, it was interesting in your build-out plan. Uh, this is a way for those that are in the rural area that accept that this could be part of what it means for them to be uh, in a, a production mode where they can make a living and also do some good. It definitely is something that um, is not suburban and it is not urban. I'd close with this. Um, 1,000 acres, that's one issue we'd like to talk about in terms of a cap. We'd like to have it, the project judged with how it's laid out in the mosaic that it really does lay out, again, respecting the natural features. But let's say it was 2,000. 2,000 acres against 230,000 acres in farm production today, 2017, staff may revise that up a hair, is about one half of 1% of the unincorporated unincorporated areas of Douglas County. So we leave with a request that we continue to work a bit more with staff to maybe find some middle ground on these constraining issues and find something we can bring back where one half of 1% is a part of the Douglas County mosaic of uses and a character of areas people leave in also making a contribution to not only the county, the state, but the country as a whole. So with that, uh, I'll turn it over to my boss, William Wilkins. Hey, thanks, John. And uh, thanks for the opportunity to address the commission. Um, again, I'm Billy Wilkins, a project developer for NextEra. And I actually develop in the state of Kansas and Nebraska. Uh, I, I think first it's important for me to tell you a little bit about NextEra. Um, so I'm actually a part of NextEra Energy Resources, which is one of the main subsidiaries under NextEra Energy, along with Florida Power and Light, which is the largest utility in the state of Florida. As a part of NextEra Energy Resources, which focuses on assets outside of Florida, we actually develop renewable energy projects across 37 states and four Canadian provinces. And our business model really is to develop, own, and operate projects. Um, we've actually been investing in Kansas since 2001, starting in Gray County, primarily focused on wind projects. Um, this is really our first foray into utility scale solar. Over the past 20 years, though, we've invested over $1.8 billion, and that's everything from annual payroll to landowner payments to property taxes. Um, Understanding that utility scale solar or 
utility scale solar energy conversion systems, which is a mouthful, are is it that's a relatively new technology specifically at this scale, specifically in Kansas. And I understand there are a lot of unknowns, um, but investment in solar has grown significantly over the over the past decade due to lowering costs. And actually, the size of projects has grown to increase or has increased to, to match demand from customers. Um, so the project that we've been in development now um, that actually sits in Douglas County as well as Johnson County is West Gardner um, Utility Scale Solar Energy Conversion System. Um, and it's a 320 megawatt project. Um, and we've, we plan on investing upwards of $320 million in the project. Um, we have considerable landowner interest. Right now, we have signed over 2,000 acres. Um, and if, if constructed, the project would bring significant economic benefits to both counties. Now, at NextEra, we're committed to proper siting and working with counties to ensure we understand and meet all regulatory requirements. Um, just moving forward, I hope to continue to have a dialogue with the county as you craft your zoning regulations. In other states, we've actually worked with counties in the past to provide a developer's perspective so that you understand the impacts of regulations that you're putting in place. As John said, caps on acreage, excessive setbacks, mandated buffering, um, and other limitations, they, they do have the potential to make projects unbuildable or economically unviable and could limit future utility scale investment. So. Thanks again for allowing me to present. Um, we appreciate the opportunity to remain a part of the conversation, and we hope to be able to bring solar, utility-scale solar to Douglas County, as well as Johnson County. Thanks for the time. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate that, and we very well may have uh, questions for you. Uh, Luke Sinclair, Chair, sorry. So um, we'll turn now to other public comments. Um, if you have anything you'd like to say, if you can do a little digital hand raise or uh, turn your video on, um, that'd be great. Uh, and while that's working out, Kyle, is there anybody in the commission room at this hour to talk about this? Kyle, Kobe with planning, there is nobody in the room to talk on this item. Okay. Um, are you seeing anybody trying to talk on the Zoom call? Kyle Kobe with planning. I do not see any digital hands going up. I know that we had one individual indicate. Oh, I just saw one from uh, Mr. Allman. Okay, uh, Luke Sinclair Chair. Um, Mr. Allman, feel free to make your comments and uh, you've got an extended period of five minutes. Thank you. Thank you, Chair Sinclair and commissioners. Um, and I apologize, I don't have a camera on my computer, so... Um, be that as it may. Um, and first of all, I just wanted to say that I really appreciate the commission's discussion on the last agenda item and Mary Miller's work on that. Um, I want to give you that public comment. That, that's in the long time coming and we're very grateful. Um, regarding the solar energy uh, text amendment though, as you might suspect, Sustainability Action Network is very supportive of solar energy generation, um, as well as wind, wind energy generation. They're renewable resources. They don't pollute. They don't 
uh, have carbon emissions and warm the climate. So in general, we're fully in agreement with the concept. However, we much prefer rooftop solar distributed energy generation as much more efficient means of solar generation than large scale concentrated utility scale solar generation. Large scale centralized solar generation such as what we're thinking about tonight um, is much lower efficient, not because of the collectors, which the six in one half dozen in the other, whether they're on a top of a roof or in a large array, but it's the transmission losses that make large scale solar in less efficient. You get transmission losses from the solar array back to the central uh, utility, and then you get additional um, transmission losses when the electricity is then dispatched out to all the buildings in the service area. So um, as far as you know, cost effectiveness, it's likewise, you, know, you, lose, you lose cost effectiveness because you lose that efficiency. Um, but for the comments that we submitted in our, our letter, I wanted to point out, as Mary said, that the definition of net meter is really not accurate. It's uh, net metering is not a generation system. We're talking about solar generation. Well, net metering is a billing structure. It's a way that um, a, like a, a rooftop solar um, generator can put their electricity on the, uh, the, the, the grid and get compensated financially for it. Laura, uh, uh, Evergy, however, in Kansas does not have net metering. They pay only about two cents per kilowatt hour for electricity that I generate on my rooftop, but I have to pay 10 cents approximately kilowatt hour when I buy electricity from them. So it's not net based, it's not net metering. So that's really not an accurate term. It, as, as Mary pointed out, it should be grid tied solar photovoltaic system because the collectors on my roof are connected to the grid as opposed to being connected to a self-contained battery. Also, we are concerned with the definition, including the uh, provision that small-scale rooftop solar electricity cannot be transferred or sailed to a third party. Well, that would prevent small microgrid configurations where a cluster of homes in a rural area, for example, or a uh, a school district or a township might have a microgrid to support themselves and share electricity among themselves. So that definition needs to be addressed as well. But mostly I wanted to address this, this consideration of allowing these thousand or 2000 acres or whatever they might turn out to be solar arrays on prime agricultural land, capability one and two land, land, soils that are uh, on par with the best soils in the world, world-class soils. Um, covering those capability one and two prime soils is really not necessary and should be prohibited. It's only like about 2%, as I understand, of all of Douglas County. 
and the large solar arrays can surely manage to locate somewhere in the remaining, you know, what, 230,000 acres in Douglas County of farmland. Uh, the Planning Commission and subsequently the county and the city commissions have made great strides in the past 15 years to acknowledge, first of all, which was a struggle, then to identify and now to protect our world-class soils. So the large-scale solar photovoltaic systems operating at less than optimal uh, efficiency should be a lower priority in our county than our prime soils. When you consider that societies throughout history have thrived or failed depending on their soil fertility or whether they depleted those soils, you know, we, we need to value our prime soils as a, a, a very important resource, uh, much of our heritage here and much of our future. And we should be protecting those soils. And it's much more important that we have uh, local sustainable food production and then focus on having solar generation or possibly wind uh, on small scale that is much more efficient. Mr. So Allman. I hope you consider those uh, recommendations and thank you for your time. Thank you, Mr. Allman. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, do we have any other public comment? Kyle Kobe with planning. I'm not seeing any other hands going up and I would once again confirm that there's nobody in the room to speak on this item. Thank you, Kyle. Luke Sinclair, uh, Chair. Um, with that, then, I, I suppose I'll bring it back to the commission to um, to discuss, to ask questions to staff or to any of the um, uh, people that offered public comment. Um, does anybody does anybody wish to start? Commissioner Rexroad. Hey, there's, yeah, Commissioner Rexroad. Um, a question, I think, for staff. Um, um, the folks from Next Era had uh, indicated a couple of times that they were hoping to um, contribute in a material way to um, the draft that's before us tonight. Um, before we spend any great deal of time um, diving into the details of that, I want to ask the question, is that something that you're entertaining? Should we send this back to you with them to uh, do further work? Um, or do you want us to uh, um, provide more direct or detailed feedback to you tonight before that happens? I'm Mary Miller, planning staff. I don't know if Nextera has their concerns listed. I know they made a few. If they, if those are their only concerns, you know, and if they're comfortable, we could discuss those today. But if they would rather have it made available to them so they could review it in more detail. We would do what we mentioned earlier, put it on our website so it's available to them and other industries. And also it would be available to other environmental groups. We'd get a wide range of comments. We brought it forward this way because we were trying to meet a deadline. We don't know what the deadline is. We just want to get it in before we start getting applications. But it's not a problem at all if you want us to hold it back a month and put it on the website and then gather information. We've got this preliminary discussion so we know where we're going. I don't see an issue with that. I don't you agree, Tanya? I agree. I think originally when we took notes, when we had um, had a first initial meeting in March, um, uh, 
there was some express deadline of wanting to have a formal application to the county in June or July. And so we were really pushing to try to meet that deadline and have a set of regulations before an application came in. So if, I mean, I, I believe that there are some interested applicants here tonight, if, you know, they would rather us, you know, pause and, and take a look at the regulations, um, I'm completely comfortable with that. Sinclair Chair, uh, thanks for that question, Commissioner Rexroad, and your comments, uh, Mary and Tanya. Um, I guess I'd be curious to know if uh, if anybody else on the commission uh, has a strong sense whether they want to dive into the text of this. It's it you know it, it is fairly technical. Um, I think after having looked at it, and it's a new thing for for the county. Um, so do we want to jump in? Does anybody feel strongly about that? Or is there a, a, a desire to defer it and allow um, interested parties and stakeholders to, to sort of have these conversations with staff about the substance before um, we start picking it apart? Commissioner Ashworth, is your hand up? Yes, uh, Commissioner Ashworth. Uh, well, I think I, I think it does merit um, some further consideration and discussion. I think it is likely that we could give some direction uh, with some at least some initial commentary tonight. Um, I think that would help both staff and potential applicants uh, to understand what might be our concerns um, and the direction that Planning Commission would recommend. Just a uh, just to get the ball rolling and get it started. But, th but then from there, I think it probably merits um, further consideration into the details. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Thank you, uh, Commissioner Ashworth. Um, Commissioner Shanklin. Commissioner Shanklin, yeah. Um, I, I guess, I would like to defer in order to give us an opportunity um, not only to see what revisions result from further conversations between the applicant and uh, planning staff, but also I found Mr. Almond's comments very helpful, um, but I don't know that he was able to finish. And I, I um, particularly on the point of what lies between large-scale installations and relying on rooftop installations, which I, I think are probably uh, just another way of shifting the cost to the property owner. Um, would, would it be possible to gather his comments in the process? I understand he was speaking as a member of the public, but um, the, his organization has the air of a um, uh, an expert as well, and I'd, I'd like to get further feedback from them. Uh, Mary Miller, planner. Yes, if we put it on our website, uh, we all am on the Zoning and Co's website. We include a place for surveys or for information, and we would welcome more feedback from him in more detail, perhaps, as well as the Sustainability Council and just other groups and other firms. The more comments we get, the better, actually. So. We would certainly do that. And um, we have a list of people that have talked to us, so we could let them know that it's there. Other people may have to find out about it um, through the news that 
And, and that would also give the applicant the opportunity to speak to the points he's raised. Thank you. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, Commissioner Carter. Uh, thanks, uh, David Carter, uh, Commissioner. I have a question and a request. Uh, first of all, I have no objection to deferring, deferring, because I think the the level of detail this goes into is something that goes beyond my ability to um, quickly digest and have a strong opinion. And I think any revisions that we entertain next or next month or at the, at the next you know airing of this, um, you know, this is already a matter of record. The the text that we're looking at right now. The, the request first is whether uh, Mary or whether staff could provide uh, the revised version with markup so that we know what it was that was requested to be added or 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 subtracted. Um, I think that will help me it would help me understand what were the specific points that uh, both um, you know Mr. Allman or, or other members of the public and um, our our other speakers might have. Um, so that's the request. The question is, Mary, could you talk a little bit about the model that you use to provide this 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 text? Or Tanya, forgive me, I'm not sure who. You know, what is the what was your 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 um, source for this um, uh, for this uh, proposed text? Mary Miller Planning. Uh, for the form of it, we use the wind energy conversion system, which is a conditional use in the zoning regulations. So the form of our tax, we follow that basic form just to maintain consistency. And then we reviewed other communities. We looked at other communities in Kansas, Johnson County, and I think Leavenworth County. Uh, Tanya might remember the other counties we looked at. And then um, we looked at various organizations, um, American Planning Association, and there is a name, <clears throat> that we looked at quite a bit of literature from where they explained zoning. It's almost like we had to learn about solar farms. So we had to learn what are the issues? What are they made of? And um, I don't remember the firm, maybe Dre is one that looked those up. So we did a lot of research trying to educate ourselves on what is a solar farm and what are the possible issues. And finally, we did a site visit to a solar farm in Butler County just to see what it felt like to be at a solar farm. And it was pretty low impact. I think it was only maybe 10 acres. So it was much smaller, you know, but visually from the road, as John said, they were low scale. You know, it wasn't a, it was not nearly as impactful as I thought. It was on perfectly level land as well. So the view from the road was pretty minor. And I think we were impressed with that. There was some noise from the uh, equipment themselves, but you only heard that when you were right by it. So if you got a little further away, you didn't hear it. So I think we'd be open to looking at and reviewing our setbacks that we're proposing based on that visit, you know, and maybe looking into other communities more. But that's primarily where we got our information. We just did a mishmash of review and looked at what we found was the best in other communities and took that and then took literature and any recommendations there are some model ordinances. So we found some information in that. Some of it just didn't seem like it would fit. We wanted to keep it more simple. You can always add through the review of a conditional use permit. So as we review it, if there's something special, you know, the planning commission can always recommend additional conditions, but we just wanted to get a basic framework so we have something to work with. Great, thank you. Um, just as a follow-up, uh, David Carter, commissioner, uh, back to my, my first question, the request, would it be practical to um, uh, share the next draft of this with markup so that we understand what the changes were from this version? 
Mary Miller planner. Absolutely. We'll do that. I've made a note to make sure we uh, do track changes. So then we bring it back. You can see everything that was changed. And also I'll get a bibliography for next time with links. So you can see where we looked and, and what information we use for our background. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, Commissioner um, Willie. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Um, probably not surprisingly, I've flagged quite a few things that I'd like to talk about, and that can either happen now or um, when, we, when we come back to it. But I, I guess I would just flag a, a few of those that I think would, would warrant more discussion and maybe even tip my hand a little bit from what I think my values are around this. Um, in terms of the, 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 the solar farm itself, the closer it can be to functioning like a soil banking where the minim, there's minimum disturbance to the soil itself, it's growing um, plants that are native, native, if possible native to this area, both shade plants and sun plants. Um, and if it can be uh, co-occur with uh, like sheep grazing or some other kind of compatible agricultural use, that means quite a bit to me. Um, and that would allow me to say um, the, 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 the buffer yard means less to me, the um, setbacks mean less to me, the, the long-term impact that if these, at the end of the lifespan, if these solar panels go away, that we have, again, still a viable and possibly even better um, agricultural land than we started with. Um, the, the, the issues about the soil testing for contaminants, uh, that uh, was kind of surprising to me. I don't, I, I don't know enough about that. I don't know. Um, we have solar panels and um, a contamination factor never really occurred to me unless you have breakage or something. So that's something I would want to know more about. But, but that would be my value. And even in terms of um, whether or not this is allowed on the, the highest quality soils, it really means matters to me how we're leaving this when it is over. The reason we object to um, a lot of, uh, you know, like housing developments is that that land will never be anything else. It'll always be housing or something more intense. It can't go backwards. If a solar farm is possible to, at the end of its life, go back to high quality agricultural land, then that is something that I would weigh in the balance. Um, I would also want to talk about fencing in terms of, um, are there two levels of fencing of it, uh, needed? You know, the fencing for um, the, the, the solar panels themselves versus the fencing for um, like the inverter complex or the, you know, higher, um, higher voltage um, or direct current kind of um, uh, infrastructure um, so that we, could, we can use a lower uh, intensity of fencing that, that is wildlife permeable or that is suitable for um, agriculture or something like that. Um, those are kind of my main points. I would also say that um, for those that don't want to drive to another county, to take a look, Baldwin City has a two-acre solar farm on the southwest corner of town um, that is suitable for driving by. And I bet if we ask nicely, they might give us a tour. It might help us understand what we might be wanting to ask more of in the future. Thank you, Commissioner Willie. Um, very helpful comments. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Commissioner Ashworth. Um, Commissioner Ashworth, I'll add a couple um, things that 
uh, I would like to see uh, some more treatment of uh, this minimum, a minimum and a maximum acreage, I think would merit a lot of discussion. Uh, would these standards that would be put forth, would there be a minimum acreage that they would apply to? I'm thinking about that two acre one in Baldwin um, or these sort of microgrids that could be used for a cluster of houses or a school district or something like that as in the sustainable action networks comments. Um, and then a discussion of this maximum acreage. Where did that, where did that come from? Well, that thousand acres, uh, why, is, why is that there? Um, the buffer areas and the setbacks, are those um, come from our traditional development subdivision regulations? Do those come from a model, um, model regulations from another county, another community? Uh, I would also be curious as to some of the other communities that you looked at, uh, did they identify or flag any of these stumbling blocks that were mentioned? Um, what what were what was their experience? What did they have to modify uh, once this these projects start started going? Um, did they have to modify their regulations from where they started? Uh, so those would be my main concerns um, to think about. Um, other, but I'm I'm very pleased um, just on the get go um, just how thorough. Um, these do seem to be, I was so pleased to hear about the saving of prime farmland and certainly the native plant incorporation. That just seems to be a best management practice. It was great to, to see it in there. So I'm really um, excited about the possibility of having those, those joint purposes. Um, oh, and one other thing um, I'm kind of curious about is how flexible these regulations are um, as the technology changes, um, we, you know, we might think of solar farms as very static, uh, say set in stone, so to speak, solar panels. But what about the, the ones that get a little fancier? They're rotating. They may be higher. Um, I don't know what the technology will bring in the near future, but I'd like the, these standards to be flexible so that we can adapt as the technology changes. Thank you. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Ashworth. Were those comments, Commissioner Ashworth, um, geared for consideration just as part of the discussion or did you, were any of those questions directed at staff uh, for an answer now? Well, um, Commissioner Ashworth, uh, more for if we're going to defer this and discuss it, those are the sort of those were the issues I would be concerned about um, that I would want to see uh, addressed. Um, if anybody has an answer to where the minimum maximum right now, like where did that thousand acres come from, and is there a, a consideration of a minimum acreage for these standards, just to just to lay that out now for a future discussion. Mary Miller, planner, the min we don't have a minimum. You know, if it's not accessory or personal, and so if it's a township wanting to do a small system or so like Baldwin City, a two-acre or one-acre system, that would require a CUP. It would probably be very simple as we go through the process, but we would still want to evaluate its impacts and, and require the provisions and, and look at it. I think it would be much simpler to go through the process for a small one, but we would still require a CUP and these standards. So we don't have a minimum. And um, Tanya, do you remember, we looked at a community and they recommended that we set a maximum. 
and this is the maximum that they used. So we just borrowed it for the purpose of starting the conversation. And I don't, was that Johnson County perhaps? That's correct, Tony Voigt, Zoning Director. Um, we have actually been working a little bit with Johnson County because um, we'd like to have some consistency for any applicant that comes forward. Um, so we've been bouncing ideas even off of each other. Johnson County is working with a consultant and that consultant group has put a recommended cap um, on a thousand acres. And from the Douglas County perspective, if we know Johnson County is going to cap and limit because they have 3,500 acres proposed there, 2,400 20, acres proposed there. And so we know that that may put pressure on Douglas County for Douglas County's farm to even get quite a lot larger than even maybe what would be anticipated. Um, I think John has a comment. So I think we just wanted to go um, use it as just a starting point to have a discussion. Um, I, we have spoke with Johnson County and they are um, thinking about um, recommending to their planning commission um, an increase to 2000 acres. Um, some other things that Johnson County has just um, recently released to us that um, we didn't necessarily have incorporated in our regulations that is still a point of interest or maybe for you guys is they also are recommending a cap on the development ratio, which would mean the percentage of the photovolactic panel coverage in relationship to the total project area would not exceed 65%. And that the solar facility shall be greater than two miles from other solar facilities so that they maybe can't piggyback each other and make a really large one that they need to be separated. Um, another thing that they um, expressed with us is possibly putting a cap on townships. So um, um, limiting the amount of solar that could go in one township or maybe not concentrating a lot of solar farms in one area. Um, but I think they're still having conversations with their townships. Um, so they're at very beginning stages, much like we are. Um, we're just kind of learning from each other and, and interested in feedback. Thank you, Tanya. Luke Sinclair, uh, Chair. I have a question on timing. Uh, there was a reference made to um, sort of the uh, uh, expediency of, of getting uh, this particular text amendment out here. Um, is there a concern that there will, if, if this is deferred and there are sort of uh, larger discussions about the substance of this text amendment, there will be other groups that will, or other or companies that will be putting in applications for these solar farms while this is being worked on and before it can get approved? Or is it that the individuals next era who's here tonight would be the ones that would have been uh, submitting the application? Uh, Mr. Peterson, feel free to, to address If that. I could, Mr. Chairman, and one, I, I think I can say on behalf of, 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 of Billy and Alan as well. This is great, really, the, the feedback from the commissioners is appreciated and we're gonna take it to school if you give this as our opportunity to continue to work on it. Some great ideas. Um, the expediency probably, Mr. Chairman, <laughs> we probably uh, lit that fire initially, quite honestly. Part of it is we have a number of landowners uh, that are very eager to be part in the rural areas of Douglas County and Johnson County to incorporate this into their agricultural business. And so we've, we've as Billy referred to, we've got uh, very willing uh, partners uh, to move forward. These are land lease deals, so everybody knows it's not purchased. It's, it's, we're truly in partnership with 
those that will still be raising crops, still be raising livestock. So we had a little pressure there, but the truth is this needs to be done correctly for you. It needs to be done correctly for us. And that's the reason we came forward tonight to ask for time. Uh, your staff started out with a great template. I think we can work with that and we'll bring our best ideas and theirs and bring it back to you for consideration. So, you know, one, one quick comment on the size, thousand acres, 2000, it's, it's not a static concept. I think there is a perception, somebody's thinking football field, sideline to sideline, end zone to end zone. But when you have creeks and natural pathways and we identify wildlife corridors, we work around those. It's a bit of a painting and a mosaic to put this together. And then when you start, if this is the area that's left, once you respect th those types of elements, and then we have large setbacks, the area that you can put the panels gets less and less. And we need, in the parlance of agriculture, we need so many bushels coming off the land. And in this case, it's megawatts. That just means to make that requisite agricultural electrical production, we need more acreage. So it's, it's a little bit of that balance. If we can find ways to use the land efficiently uh, on a on a true life analysis of the pieces of property we're talking about, it, it creates the possibility to keep the acreage down. The less efficient we are on sites, we need more partners and more acreage has to be committed to it. That's our problem. Uh, but it, I just thought it, it's a good context as we continue to work with staff and come back to you. Thank you, Mr. Peterson. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Do we have other commissioner comments or questions? Commissioner Willie. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Um, Maybe somewhat crude for me to point this out, but it, it's it's possible. Having worked with Nextera of, of a while back with a, a potential wind uh, development that came that was uh, looking into his interest in the, in Douglas County, um, is it possible, Mr. Peterson? Could I ask, have some of the willing landowners already been compensated um, uh, for you know signing on to being willing to be part of the discussion so far? Um, has that been part of your um, outreach efforts? I'm going to defer that one to Mr. Wilkins. Um, let him respond to that if it's okay, Commissioner. Hey, thanks for the question. Yes, uh, landowners who are interested and they enter into it, an agreement, we call it an option. And so it's the option to use that land or exercise uh, that lease later to build the project. And so that uh, is compensated. So we pay during the option period, which is typically three years. Um, with the ability to extend that if necessary. Uh, but there is a payment during the option period and all the landowners who we've signed so far have signed option agreements. Thank you. Thank you for that, Commissioner Willie. Uh, Luke Sinclair, Chair. Anyone else have any questions? Any additional thoughts for uh, staff to consider to the extent that this ends up being deferred? Commissioner Willie. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner, unrelated to the last one. Uh, one final point that I think is worth um, consideration uh, is there was mention in the document about um, 
you know, preserving tall trees or you know, mature trees, I think might have been the language. And I just want to make sure that we differentiate between um, like native hardwoods or you know, riparian forests, these, these natural environments and the kind of trees that grow up in our pastures when we neglect them, which the county, the state and the federal government actually all pay landowners to remove and that those are not worth the same level of preservation as some of these other natural areas would be. So uh, when it comes to valuing whether or not we can make room for a solar farm or whether we should keep um, tall cedar trees that are frankly just a fire hazard and uh, kind of a no, not much worth to wildlife, I think we need to make sure that we, we value what we value, but we don't hold back um, a, a good project because of, of, of a language that was not specific enough. Really good point, um, Luke Sinclair Chair. Um, I'd be I'd be interested in more comments, uh, or if anybody feels the the uh, desire to make a motion, certainly would entertain that too. I guess just sort of prime the pump on that. I've, I've got the feeling that most everyone that's spoken anyways is leaning towards um, deferring it instead of having a, uh, a time where we go through this thing um, word by word or line by line and then vote. So um, if anyone feels the, uh, the spirits leading them to move um, on this one, feel free to go ahead. Commissioner Carter. Well, it's been quite a while since I've made a motion. Um, but um, uh, David Carter, uh, Commissioner, I would move that we defer uh, consideration of the text amendment TA-21-00173, revising the zoning and land use regulations for the unincorporated territory of Douglas County um, to give uh, staff uh, more time to confer with members of the public and potential stakeholders. Sinclair Chair, uh, thank you, Commissioner Carter. So we have a motion um, to defer the text amendment uh, for the reasons stated by Commissioner Carter. Do we have a second? Second. Commissioner Rexroad, thank you very much. Luke Sinclair Chair. Any other comments before uh, we have a vote? Um, seeing none, Jeff, would you be able to read the roll? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes 8-0. to zero. Very good. Thank you. Thank you, everyone who participated and spoke. Appreciate that. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, that concludes the regular um, uh, agenda tonight. Uh, and so the next um, thing on the agenda would be miscellaneous new or old business. Um, Jeff, is there anything uh, that needs that you need to um, discuss with us in that section? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Uh, no items on that one for this evening. Okay. 
uh, Luke Sinclair Chair. Uh, Commissioner Carter. Uh, thank you, David Carter, Commissioner. I just wondered uh, whether we might want to, I know it's late, uh, but uh, whether we might want to just take a couple of moments to welcome uh, Commissioner Rexrode and uh, take and have a moment for introductions. Yes. Normally, uh, we would be able to defer and go and you know go someplace else, but uh, yeah, uh, Commissioner Carter, thank you for that, Luke Sinclair Chair. Uh, that was what I was hoping to do, maybe quickly before we sign off. I know it's um, it's late, obviously, uh, but our meetings are probably. Um, going to be late. Uh, Wednesdays will, I'm sure, be late too. So this may be our only opportunity, really. I mean, we're not going to have a better one unless we all get together. So maybe, um, uh, Commissioner Rexrode, you could kind of give uh, just a, a minute or two uh, background for yourself, and then uh, it'd be nice if we could go around and do the same for you. Uh, and granted, we're not all here, but most of us are. Sure. Thank you. I've had a chance to meet with uh, uh, with some of the commissioners so far. Looking forward to that being able to meet with you personally, uh, with everyone. Um, I'm Gary Rexrode, uh, Commissioner Rexrode. I uh, uh, work for Microsoft as a, a job outside of town, but uh, my family and I moved uh, here to Lawrence 22 years ago um, when uh, I joined that company. And I understand that uh, you don't really become a townie unless you've either been born here or died here. And while I won't enjoy it, we're committed to being here long enough that we ultimately earn that title. Uh, this is our home. We, we just absolutely love well, the city of Lawrence uh, from about every perspective you can think of. And I am absolutely honored uh, for the opportunity to work with uh, all of you and serve this community uh, for the next three years and maybe a few after that. Well, thanks for the welcome. Thank you, Commissioner Rexrode. Luke Sinclair, uh, Vice Chair. Uh, Commissioner Carter, would you be willing to go next? Certainly. Um, David Carter, Commissioner. Um, so welcome, uh, Commissioner Rexrode. I am a, I am a Lawrence native. I was, born, I, I'm, I was born in a wing of Lawrence Memorial Hospital that no longer exists. Um, and uh, I've come and gone, uh, lived in various places, um, but... Um, uh, I work for a software company in Silicon Valley, have for the last 26 years. I consider myself a geographer by profession and a GIS professional. So, uh, uh, so I'm, you know, recognize the, the software connection, but, uh, like you, it's, you know, it's, it's been an honor to, uh, to work with this commission. I've, I've found it super collegial, um, it's it's been um, some great um, discussion and debate, and uh, have really been impressed with the sort of respectful nature of everything that we've uh, that we've addressed uh, in the pa in my uh, past three years on the commission. So welcome. Thank you, Commissioner Carter, Luke Sinclair, Chair. I'm just going to go around my screen here. Commissioner Ashworth, you're next on my screen. Um, hello and welcome, Sharon Ashford, Planning Commissioner. And I've had the pleasure of meeting uh, Commissioner Rexrode um, last week and um, just filled you in already on who I am and where I came from. Uh, let's see, except for uh, Commissioner Shanklin, I'm sort of the other newest person. And it's it, it feels new all the time. Every time we meet, there's something that's to be learned um, some perspective that I hadn't thought about. So this is an incredibly enjoyable um, process. It does get late. So welcome to the Planning Commission on your Monday and Wednesday evenings. Um, this is what they look like um, in terms of how late they get. So 
Um, but all in all, it's a, it's a great way to be part of the city. So welcome, Thank part you. of the city and county. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Ashworth, Luke Sinclair Chair. Uh, Commissioner Willie. Aaron Willie, Planning Commissioner. I also had the pleasure of meeting uh, Commissioner Rexroad, and also we volunteered together briefly last summer. Um, so you already know me a little bit. I'm a soil scientist by training, a regenerative farmer and entrepreneur. Nice to meet you. Thank you much, uh, Luke Sinclair Chair. Uh, Commissioner Shanklin. <coughs> hey Gary, um, we've already had the pleasure of having lunch. You know way too much about me already. Uh, so welcome. Uh, we can go to the next person on the screen. Luke Sinclair uh, Chair, is there any point to this really? Um, how about Commissioner Carpenter? Well, I'm not going to bore you with my background <laughs> again because I had the opportunity to meet with Commissioner Rexroad two Saturdays ago for almost two hours and then again a bit on the next Wednesday yeah. evening. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to working with him. With you, it's hard to do it this way with, with little boxes, knowing who you're talking to, yep. getting pronouns and adjectives correct, but, uh, which begs the question, when do we get to have an in-person mid-month meeting <laughs> again so we can actually do this right? Luke Sinclair Chair, that's a good question. Let, why don't we finish this introduction and maybe we could actually ask Jeff that. Uh, Commissioner Butler? Hi, I'm Julia. I like late meetings. <laughs> That's why we saved you to last. Uh, Luke Sinclair Chair, we've had an opportunity to talk to uh, Commissioner Rexford briefly, but um, I'm in my second term, county appointee, uh, an attorney by trade, um, and uh, enjoy um, working with this group of people. It's a great group of people. And I, I mean, we, we need to mention Jeff and Kyle and Becky and Denny and Kurt, um, who are all there. And I don't know if I'm missing anybody, but you'll have opportunities to get to know them better, uh, Commissioner Rexford, if you haven't communicated been, with them yet. I've been pestering them with rookie questions <laughs> okay. the last few days. Okay. <laughs> that's great. Well, they're fantastic. I think you'll find that to be true. Oh, wow. That's so true. Um, but I, Luke Sinclair Chair, uh, Jeff, are you able to speak to the, uh, is it appropriate to speak to what sort of the, the next month or two look like for our posture and our meetings? Certainly, Jeff Crick, Planning Development Services. Um, very briefly, I can tell you right now, we're starting to process to evaluate what those steps look like in the upcoming months and what that is kind of available and what the room will look like and how that configuration goes. We're hoping to have a better understanding of that in the next couple of weeks to figure out what's what's possible, what isn't possible, and what we can do to kind of make sure that everybody that can come to the room can do it as safe as possible. So at this point, we don't have a timeline or a, a movement pattern to kind of regain that, you know, the mid-month in the morning and the evening meetings that we have. But I think in probably the next few months, we're going to have a pretty good understanding of that. But it's something we're tracking and following very closely. So as soon as we know more information, we will make sure to get it out to you and also to the public on what that looks like. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, Luke Sinclair, Chair. 
I think then that sort of concludes our evening. I can't remember. Do we need to move for a recess or do I just declare it? Jeff Crick, Planning Development Services Director, recommend a motion and a vote okay. to recess. Okay. Do we have a motion to recess? I, I so move. <laughs> David Carter, Commissioner. Thank you, Luke, Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, motion to recess. We have a second. Uh, I think Commissioner Rexrode uh, made his first second on a motion to recess. Uh, how about um, any comments before we vote? Jeff, can you call the roll? Absolutely. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexrode? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie. Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. Great. Thank you all. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys. See you Wednesday.